In a world of podcasts about movies, sci-fi, TV, and podcasts about sci-fi, TV, and movies, two women chose to add their voices to the fray. Two sisters. One woman was willing to go to any length to explain away plot holes and bad pacing. I don't think, first of all, much like the entirety of this film, I don't think we're supposed to ask a lot of questions. The other, though, had no such sympathies. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. Together, they joined forces to highlight the good, the bad, and the truly bizarre. This is See You Next Week in Space. So here's the thing. Picture it. Uh, We're in the new year. It's 2024. We've had some time for the year to begin. And just imagine, if you will, Amy, this is the question I'm going to ask you. You find yourself in a situation where things are pretty bleak. Things are pretty terrible. Mm -hmm. And you like... You find out that there's really no way out of this situation. Okay. And that you I'm scared. need I'm really to scared going. and you need to kind of like sacrifice yourself for the good of humanity. Oof, and okay. so my question is, do you think you could do it? Could you let yourself die no. in order to protect humanity? Okay. First of all, whoa. <laughs> um, that's a dark question. Um, and I fear, I fear my answer might be dark. Um, I feel like at certain times in my life, yikes, this is, you know, nobody worry about me or anything. But um, at certain times in my life, I think I would have been more staunchly like, no, I like my life. No, thank you. Mm. At my current juncture, I feel like, I guess, like, (laughs) I mean, it's not great. It's not a great choice, but, you know, okay. I I would be very curious what my little death would have to do that could save humanity. But, um, yeah, I feel like, yeah, I guess I would. Yeah, I mean, it's not like any character in this movie is portrayed as having a quote-unquote big life, right? They don't, that's kind of the point, is they're just like people who've ha- who have a rather terrible situation thrust upon them. Yeah, um, and now, to be clear, I wouldn't necessarily go out of my way. Here, let's be, I'll be more honest, I guess. I don't know that I would go out of my way to sacrifice my life to humanity, if that makes sense. Sure, so yeah, like, fair. I wouldn't necessarily be like, uh, <clears throat> I can't think of a good example, but like, I wouldn't be like, yes, I will get on this. <clears throat> the first thing I can think of is like having to be like going on like the open ocean and like sailing a boat so that like, Whatever for whatever reason, I'm yeah. Like, like it's like, like I'm you've trying to think got, of something that's scary. You've got to, me. to go. 
Yeah. Like, I, if I had to, but if you just had, like, someone were standing in front of me and they're like, I'm going to murder you for humanity, I'd be like, okay, fine, do what you got to do. But, like, I don't want to, do you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to go to Antarctica to save humanity. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I guess because this, yes, the way this movie sets things up, it is in the context of decisions they've already made, a life they already have. Yeah. And they find, like I said, they find themselves in this extraordinary circumstance where regular people, and not even that many regular people, stand as like the the only line of defense against... Are saving humanity, though? I guess maybe I didn't get that. Well, I mean... Because we kind of because mm-hmm. as we'll talk about, like the concern is that if this spreads beyond the research station, ah, uh, okay. So okay, I get you. Uh, okay, and we'll talk about it. But like, I would also not go anywhere. Just to be clear about like my form of sacrifice, <laughs> I would also not go anywhere where like. If a radio goes out, we have lost all communication with worlds, with the world. Yes. yes. I would also not go anywhere that requires you to take a, a helicopter there or a crazy, scary mm. boat there mm. or a crazy, scary other type of aircraft there. Some kind of <laughs> specialized conveyance is the only way you yeah. can get to the place. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Fair. Not for That's, me. yeah. No, I agree with that. And, like, as for me, I would like to think that I'd be willing to sacrifice myself for the continued survival of the human race. Um, I th- and I think I probably would. Because I think as well, and we'll get to this when we talked about the very end of the movie. Mm-hmm. But, like, I think if you find yourself in a position where you're asking, like, well, do I have to sacrifice myself so that humanity can continue? If you've already started going down that pathway of asking that question, you've already been through something pretty terrible where... Yeah, you're not going to recover fully. <laughs> yeah, and also, like, you're physically, like, probably much closer to death than you would be mm. in a in a different moment. So it might not be as much of a sacrifice, right? Like, True. you're like, I and, get it. <laughs> Give yeah, up. And I would, like, oh, totally. Well, I would argue that, like, at the end of this scenario, we're... Was it really a choice anymore, or was it just like this is the circumstance? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the end of the movie is like one of those ones that's created a lot of like debate among people about what you think is happening. So we can talk about that. Yeah, I'm not quite sure I know. Um, when we get there, so probably it's now good to say we'll hello, say. everyone. Welcome <laughs> to see you next week in space. I am Sarah Walsh, and I'm here with my sister and co host. Amy Walsh and Amy, why don't you tell everyone what we're talking about this week? Well, we are talking about the 1982, I believe it's a classic for most It has people. come to be. We will talk about yeah. that. Um, the Thing. Yeah. Um, Which is different from when I first heard about this movie, and to be fair, I have actually seen this before too. Yeah. Um, I, when I originally heard the name, I always in my head 
mis, uh, mistook it for the blob. Oh, interesting. Okay. I always thought it was sillier or something like, when I first watched it, I was like, wait, what is this? What's happening? <laughs> this is supposed to be like kind of funny. And I was like, this is decidedly not funny. Yeah, no, this is very serious, although some of the gross ick factor could play into the comedic, depending on your mood at any given True. moment. Um, yeah. I can't remember precisely when I watched this for the first time. I know I was an adult, um, but I have always really liked it and was always under the impression that this was like something that was quite well liked, but as we'll see at the start, it was not appreciated in its time. Um, yeah. And I would have to say that I was doing a lot of <laughs> self-reflection while watching it, trying to figure out what kinds of movies I like because <laughs> I, <laughs> cause I'm, I'm very self-proclaimed like into horror and that kind of thing. And this falls into that genre, but I was like, Hmm, I don't really love this. I'll be honest, just to like spoiler mm, alert. Mm. I don't really love this. I think I don't love horror that is more like creature featurey. I sure. prefer mur- like human murderers. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. So, um, and that is a good setup for this. So the IMDb description of this movie is as follows. A research team in Antarctica is hunted by a shape-shifting alien that assumes the appearance of its victims. Um, I mean, a this, great premise. I'll give it yes, that for sure. Yes, absolutely. And I, and like, I guess the thing is, and I've, I've, we'll talk about this too. This is based um, on two things. Uh, there's a 1938 novella called Who Goes There?, uh, written by John W. Campbell Jr. Um, and from what I was able to surmise from Wikipedia, um, that book, or novella rather, um, mm-hmm. it has a lot more characters. It's still set in the Antarctic, so like the premise is still the same. But I imagine that it's much more of a, let's say, psychological thriller because it's about like who who is who is being taken over, right? Like, so it's like that thing. Um, Yeah. And I also, from that, infer to some degree that the 1951 movie, based on the novella, The Thing from Another World, which is another piece of inspiration for this one, um, Mm -hmm. that one probably, too, to some degree, could, like, I think it could either run both ways. It could be very much more in the creature feature area, which I think it kind of was in some senses. Mm-hmm. Um, because John Carpenter, who makes a thing, wanted this to be closer to the source material than the 51 mm-hmm. movie. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I'll also just say, because it uh, it really is worth mentioning, and I think some, like you know, and for just kind of responsibility to humanity's sake... Um, John W. Campbell Jr., who wrote this novella, uh, when I clicked on him to learn a bit more about his backstory, turns out to be a massive racist. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So just I, like, <laughs> I will allow the listeners to like, if you want to do that deep dive, you can. Right. Um, if you really want to learn about a racist, go for it. <laughs> uh, but it's kind of striking. Um, mm. But I think what's interesting is like, 
Um, there are certainly some potential racial issues or like things we could discuss in the context of this movie. Um, Mm -hmm. but like whatever this guy's personal opinions were, I don't think have filtered into this movie and I appreciate that. But I think it's like just good to say like, this is what, this is the person who made this source material. Like the source material itself could be basically unproblematic, but the person is not ideal. Um, so apparently because the thing from another world was fairly successful and it's time, uh, there had been interest in doing a a remake of it, of some persuasion since the mid seventies. Um, and what really clinched it was both the success of alien and Halloween, like in close and it proximity me a to lot. each other. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of Alien. Yeah, it would. Like, yeah. vibe. Yeah, there's a lot. Well, and also because Alien 2 is just about a group of people in a bad situation who are just regular people, and they have to figure out what to do to save humanity. Like, are they going to yeah. sacrifice themselves for it? Um, and it's a lot. Like, I think... Um, for all that this has a lot of ick factor, um, creature feature stuff, for the most part, it's just people talking, you know, like, um, maybe that's the boring nature of it for me. Like, it's so, um, it's so interesting because I love also like a wintry movie, right? but this one, because it's like the, the environment of Antarctica and being on this like research station, it's so stark. Yeah, it's very much like they're on a ship, even. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. No, I mean that's not my favorite. I I weirdly kind of like watching this movie in winter time. Like, uh, I mean, I get that. So there's something because yeah, it does capture some of the like isolation that you feel like in winter time and stuff. But of course, on a much higher level. Um, yeah, I mean, you can't catch... I, listen, I love winter, and I love snow, and I love cold. You would not catch me in Antarctica. <laughs> no, nor, nor I. I am not cut out for it. Um, I also think it's funny because... Uh, so, John Carpenter wasn't the person that was initially tapped to be the director of this movie, but mm. he did love the movie The Thing from Another World because that's the movie that's playing on the TV where Jamie Lee Curtis is babysitting the kids in Halloween. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Um, So he had quite an affinity and love for this movie anyway. So he, like, so at first, actually, when he was approached, he was a bit like, oh, I couldn't possibly. Like, it's too good of a movie. Yeah. I see. And then in the end, he, I guess, came to be convinced. Um, In terms of some special effects stuff, which we'll talk more about, um, the, at that time, the cost for the special effects were $1.5 million, um, Whoa. which That's was, yeah. And apparently for a, a creature feature type movie, that was the most that had ever been spent up to that time on that. I, will say, I do think that, yeah, I will say, I do think even as many times as I said, yuck out loud, I yeah. think that means that it was successful. I think they were oh, good for effects. Sure. No, and like this effects guy, I'm forgetting his first name, but I have it here. His set, his last name is Boughton. He was only 21 
When he, and he was Whoa. like the head of special effects when he did this. Holy crap. Whoa. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. Um, and in fact, like the special effects were basically one of the big, like people did not, I'll say that people did not like this movie when it came out. Um, mm-hmm. both critics and the public found various things wrong with it. Um, critics especially thought like, while the effects were good, like they were done well, everyone thought they were too gross and grotesque. Um, that I could agree with. <laughs> and they also uh, kind of described it as boring, right? Like, so um, I also kind of agree with that. The critics in particular were like, I, I remember there was this one line in Wikipedia where it was a guy being like, yeah, this is a great ad for JNB uh, whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Wait a second. I agree with all these critics in 19. 19- Am I a critic from 1982? And I don't know it. You might be. Um, shit. Um, but what is interesting about this is so John Carpenter, like he, this actually really messed up his career for a bit of a while because he had been doing mm. so well up to this point. And then when it, the, like, so this was not a very good box office performer. Um, it was panned, you know, all this stuff. Um, and at the time, uh, John Carpenter was basically like, I think part of the problem was that this alien movie was far too nihilistic and bleak in comparison to each E.T., which came out the same year um, oh, and had a much kind of no like... comparison, I would say. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, I don't think that explains... I'm like, I think both of those movies can exist, and I and I like There's them both. completely different right? movies. Like, yeah. Um, but in his mind, he was like, oh, E.T. set people up for this, like, happy-go-lucky, plucky mm. alien story, and I have this other thing, and nobody liked it sort of thing. Mm. Um... But intriguingly, this comes out the same year as Blade Runner, which was also considered a failure at its time of release and has gone on to be considered one of the classics. Did we watch that one? We have not done Blade Runner for the show. Um, Did we watch something that I felt like was called something like that? I care. I'm almost positive we haven't done Blade Runner. Oh, yes. Oh, Demolition Man. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, no, we haven't done Blade Runner. I saw Blade Runner recently for the first time in a really long time. Um, and it, yeah, it in particular, much more so than The Thing, has bounced back as being like not merely or not only a sci fi classic, but like a genuine classic movie of all time kind of thing. Oh, interesting. Um, so, you know, I, I'm only just saying that so that we can know kind of like where these things begin and where they end. In the case of The Thing, what really starts to set it into a higher ranking is the arrival of VHS. You know, like people are renting stuff and bringing Mm. it home. Um, And that it was played a lot on TV. Um, Oh, interesting. And then eventually people were like, oh, actually, like, I can see this not being a movie for everyone, for sure. Like, it's not going to be like E.T. <laughs> like, it's not right. going to be. Like, that's fine. But I, I do think that it's probably deserving of more credit than it got in its day. Because I'm like, well, some people might say this is very boring. And that's fair enough. I'm like, I like the slow kind of creep toward, like, increasing madness, I guess, on the part of these yeah. characters. And watching yeah. the paranoia grow. Um, 
And, and to me, that's what I like about really any thriller, horror movie, whatever. Um, I like that. So for me, I quite, that works for me, but I can appreciate that it's not for everyone. Um, yeah. And I also will just say, because this I just think is interesting, um, the other men considered for the role of MacReady, yes. who's ultimately okay. won out by Kurt Russell. Yeah. Okay. Re- read these names, and then I want you to say your pick out of those ones. So any, one. So if not Kurt Russell, then who of this list of names you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we have some options are Christopher Walken, Jeff Bridges, Nick Nolte, Sam Shepard, and Chris Christopherson. Um, I think I can, I'll say this first. I can see why every single one of these guys was considered. Yeah. I have to wait. I, there's two of them. I have to look up really quick, but, um, yes, I can see. Okay. Yep. Got it for that one. Um, and yes, I, I see it too. Oh yeah. Okay. Got it. Um, Um, so for me, like, I guess that, so am I thinking about who could play it similarly to the way that Kurt, Kurt Russell would play it? Is not that what you're asking me? No, or just like who, who might pick would like be? to see? Yeah. Um, hmm. I actually have two picks depending on what. <laughs> I think I might, I think I might pick Jeff Bridges. Okay. Yeah. He's my pick too. Yeah, he's yeah. my pick I mean, too mainly because I like him the best out of that. <laughs> yeah, this list. Yeah. Um, and I think he definitely. I do think I could see him playing it very similar to. I could too. Uh, I think. I think Kurt, he would. I could see him bringing slight, if to the degree that there's humor that could be gotten out yes. of this. I could see him playing it a bit lighter, at least at first. Yes, um, which could be nice. But yeah, I see him and Kurt Russell doing it quite similarly. Yeah, so he was my pick too. My other pick would be like an alternate for like just kind of funsies and that would be Nick Nolte. (laughs) Wow. See, I thought you were going to say Christopher Walken. That would be fun in a different way. See, I think they're both crazy. I I think that would be like too much. Like Nick Nolte? No, Christopher Walken. He'd be too weird and too crazy. Absolutely. He'd be definitely too weird and like a kind of weird where you're like, I think you already are an alien. So this makes it much more confusing. Right. Like, cause we spend Um, a lot of the middle of the movie wondering if Kurt Russell is the alien. And I'm like, Christopher Walken is an alien from the start of the film. Correct. (laughs) Exactly. And that's why like Nick Nolte, even though I like truly don't know if I've ever seen him in anything. And the only thing I can picture him is his like mugshot. That's very famous. But like, (laughs) I think it would be fun because I think he's also a bit cuckoo. So that could be like a fun cuckoo version. Yeah. Um, Yeah. No, I've seen Nick Nolte recently. He was in an episode of Poker Face, um, which is a good Mm -hmm. mystery show if you're into it. Oh, wait. I've watched that. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. So he's in an episode of that um, as a super old guy. He's the guy who makes the like monster effects. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh, um, oh, right, right, right. I do remember that. Oh, that's but yeah, he would bring. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't know him well enough to know how he was in the eighties. Like, so, so I don't quite. I can't quite picture what energy he would bring into this. 
Yeah, true. But, um, yeah, I like, I, I guess what I will say is I do think they ultimately chose the right guy. Yeah, to do I it. agree. <laughs> I agree. Um, and in fact, Kurt Russell took a year to grow out his hair and beard. So he looked like he had been there, you know, like far That's away funny. from I civilization. I thought his hair was long like that in other things I've seen him in. I, cause I thought of him as had kind of like, I was, to me, I was like, oh, well, like it's 82. It wouldn't have been out of the realm of normality to just have hair and beard like that. I kind of. Anyway. Yeah. But like. I thought he kind of did. And I know he has done, he goes back and forth, I guess. But um, for whatever reason, he did that for this one. And then for the character of Childs, um, we, so that's played by Keith David. It's one of his first roles, in fact. Um, but in a, like, so he gets it, but in addition to him, the people who were considered for that role were Carl Weathers, Isaac Hayes, and Ernie Hudson. Yeah. And I just looked up all of them too, and I see it. Yeah. Um, well, cause Carl Weathers is from Predator and various other uh, things. So he was like, I, I would see him playing it more as a tough guy. Same with Isaac mm. Hayes, to be honest. Um, and then I would see Ernie Hudson. He's like similar. Like I could see Ernie Hudson and Jeff Bridges being an alternative pick because they would mm. be ha- pot- potentially bringing a bit of a lighter energy in at yeah. the start. Um, I, but like, yeah. So those are. I mean, it is like I will say. Like I know we're not there yet, but like the cast is good, and they all. It's like, really I'm, good. I need to kind of look up all of them because they all. Re- I was, I felt like I knew them all from something and I couldn't really place any of them. Well, yeah. And I didn't even, I'm not even going to go deep into the, I only chose a few people from the cast because I feel like they're the ones that the story really pivots around. But yeah, um, yeah you've seen most of these guys in something. Um, yeah. Not every one of them, but a lot of them you have. Um, yeah. So to round things out, uh, this was uh, shot in Alaska, like the mostly anyway, although some of the interiors were done in L.A., unsurprisingly, but it's shot in both Alaska and British Columbia. Um, and the external shots were, like the sets for those external shots were built in the fall um, to, mm. so that they could then have snow on them by the time they were ready to shoot. Uh. Um this also sounds really like it probably was a bummer in terms of filming because the sets had to be kept cold um, oh so that the snow could stay on the top of them. Um, and so there was no heating inside. Ugh. Uh, and similar, so like they didn't heat indoors, one, so that the, because like if you heat it indoors, then like the roof will lose its snow. Right. Like, um, so they didn't want that. And similarly, um, they couldn't heat it up because then the lenses on the cameras would fog up and then it would take like hours for them to unfog. So they were just like, we're just going to keep it cold in here. Like, so, I mean, it wasn't like the temperature that they said, I forget at one point they say like how cold it is outside. It's not that, but it is at like freezing most of the time that they're filming this. Yeah. Um, Mm. and so finally to kind of round things out, um, this has become considered a classic of both the horror and sci-fi genres. Uh, but it did not start out that way. Um, 
In terms of the cast, as I said, I chose three people that I think are kind of the most, um, how would I say, kind of like the the people that like ground the story in a sense. Yeah. Um, and that's McCready, Dr. Blair, and Childs. So mm-hmm. McCready is played by a 32-year-old Kurt Russell, who I did not know this, but born in Springfield, Massachusetts. So, that's so funny. <laughs> down the street from us. Um, that's crazy. I had kind of forgotten this, uh, but he started out as a child actor. Um, hmm. And in fact, his very first credit is in an episode of Dennis the Menace. Um, oh. Yeah, so he, like, truly, he is a kid actor who makes this jump quite gracefully, in in fact, because um, he becomes a Disney kid uh, early oh. on. And so one of his Disney kid movies is The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes. Um, and I don't think I've seen that movie. I'm pretty sure I haven't. Um, but I think he's, like, meant to be, like, 14 or 15 in that or something. Mm. Um and then as he's moving into adulthood, he, and this is how he ends up in part in this movie, is because he and John Carpenter worked together a number of times across the late 70s and early 80s. Um, okay. And one of those places is he plays Elvis in a TV movie in the late 70s. Oh, really? Um, mid to late 70s, I think. Yeah, and, and Carpenter directed that TV movie. And so that's how they meet. And then I forget, I think you're, are you the one who, You've seen Escape from New York, right? Yes. Yes. Um, So I'm pretty sure it's like Elvis movie, Escape from New York, The Thing. Like, but they've Mm. done quite, they've actually, up to this point, uh, Kurt Russell and John Carpenter have done quite a bit of stuff together. Um, And then some other kind of highlights of Kurt Russell's career uh, includes Captain Ron uh, Fast and Furious 7 um, and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, where he plays someone who is revealed to be quite a bad person. Um, hmm. And I think at more recently, even he's played Santa in some movies. Oh, yeah. The Christmas Chronicles or something. Yeah. I, I figured you would know the name, even if you hadn't <laughs> seen the film. I have seen it, I think. But it's not, um, it's not one of my favorites. But yeah, he's a good Santa. Yeah, so, like, this is a person who probably by the time we get to the end of his life will have so many credits because he's just been acting his entire life, more or less. Um, And successfully, too. Like, he's not just some person. He's, like, quite the star kind of across the board. Um, Yeah. Then we have Dr. Blair, played by a 48-year-old Wilford Brimley. Um, Now, Wilford Brimley... Did you recognize him at all? Yeah. Wait a okay. second. Which one is he? He's the I just old doctor guy. Looking, I've just been looking up all these people trying to see where I recognize them from. Um, I don't... Wilford Brimley. Uh, yeah, maybe I, maybe he's one where I didn't fully recognize him. Yeah, he's but someone I recognize where... the name. Yeah, the name is quite... I mean, first of all, because it's just a good name. Um, it is a good name. It's, it's the name of someone who should be an actor, for sure. Totally. Um, or like a local sheriff. Like, one of yes. the two. And he does end up playing quite a lot of local sheriffs in a number of things, because he appears... I mean, that's when I look up his picture. That's like something that comes up is like... Yeah. Definitely yeah, yeah, him yeah. being He's, like a sheriff-looking kind of guy. 
Yeah, he's in a bunch of westerns all throughout his career. Mm. Um, his first credit is when he was 35 years old. Um, so he's hmm. a late in lifer, I guess you could say, in some ways. Um, I he I think he, in some senses one of his more uh, well known roles is when he's in the movie Cocoon, um, hmm. which I have tried in vain to try and access. Um, and Cocoon is a science fiction movie about old people in a nursing home, like being taken over by aliens or something. I can't quite remember now. Um, but like straight up, you cannot access that film. It is like whatever, whatever, like copyright rules are like pertaining to that movie, make it impossible to access. Um, so much so that I've even Googled, I know I've Googled this once before because I'm like, why can't I find Cocoon anywhere? And I ran you across an article. You can watch it on Sling. Really? That's what it says here. I don't Is know it, But are true. you talking about Cocoon the Return? Because there's a sequel and it's not I don't the know. same. I just opened Sling. If it starts playing this movie, it's going to be awkward. Um, if it just starts playing this movie, that's weird. Am I about to like kill my computer? Anyway... It, that's what it says. Stream live. What's happening? Okay, I'm scared, actually. Uh, <laughs> I clicked I clicked out of it because I was scared. But Fair. it does say... It does say 1985 Cocoon. Okay. On my thing, it says you can watch it on Sling. That's Weird. not a, an app I have, but... Weird. Well, maybe... Try it. Maybe this has changed since the last time I tried. But um, he's also in In-N-Out and various other things. Um... But I mainly, what I was mainly thinking of during watching this, and it's not very charitable, but I'll just say it. I was looking at him, and he's 48, and I'm 42. And I was like, do you think in six years my looks will go downhill so much that I'll look like this guy (laughs) when I'm 48? Like, because he looks so much older than 48 years old to me. But well, remind me which one. Like, I can't. I'm, all the pictures I'm seeing of him are him like as a very old man, pretty much. But yeah, what did he look like in this movie? I'm trying to. Oh, in, he's that. He's that one. Yeah, he okay, wears the wait. glasses that are like I just, slightly I just tinted. It. Yeah, yeah. I think that he is someone. And now I'm only seeing pictures of him when he's kind of old, but I think that he is someone who is that. This one looks like this is him younger, but his he had a thinning hairline to me for what looks like a long period of his yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, probably quite that, a while. Yeah, that big ass mustache is um, is it aging. can age you? <laughs> yeah, it, it, well, it just like makes you look like a certain type of person, I guess, and maybe that's not a nice thing to say, but. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say he's one of those people who's, like, perma-old looking. I mean, (laughs) do you know what I'm saying? Like, even some of these younger pictures where he's a little bit thinner, he still doesn't look young. Yeah. Young. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Now, that's, like, pretty much all I kept thinking every time I saw him was, like, is this, am I going to be crashing into my late 40s looking like this guy um, well, all you got to do is make sure your hair doesn't thin on top. Don't wear those, like, bifocal lenses and don't grow a big-ass mustache, and you should probably be okay. I mean, two of the three, I think, genuinely can't happen to me, <laughs> so I'm in well, good there shape you go. on that tip. Um, 
and then the other person who's a big part of this story is a character called Childs, played by a 26-year-old Keith David. Um, this was his fifth credit. Um, so he's quite new in his career when he gets this gig. Because um, his first credit is in 1979 in a movie called Disco Godfather, which... Whoa. I don't quite know what that is, but I'd be interested to know what it is. Um, yeah. He is a born and bred New Yorker. Uh, he went to the High School of the Performing Arts and Juilliard. Um, Ooh, fancy. He, yeah, he's had a whopping 362 credits so far, um, with 12 more coming up. Uh, wow. including something called The Portal to Hell, <laughs> which yes, I would be I interested that. in. Um, but he's also been in such classics as he appeared in some episodes of Sesame Street in the mid-'80s. Um, he was in he Armageddon. Was in, oh, was he? I didn't realize that. Um, I think I looked it up, and that's what because I was like, I recognize him, and I'm trying to figure out from where. Yeah, he was in Roadhouse. Um, mm. more recently he's been in the movie Death at a Funeral, the TV show Black Jesus, the TV show Greenleaf, and the movie hmm. Nope. Um, oh, do you want to hear real quick, do you want to hear the description? It's like one line um, of Disco Godfather. <laughs> yeah, sure. A nightclub owner declares war on drug dealers after his nephew has a bad trip on angel dust. Sounds kind of wow. good. Wow. That's something. That's definitely <laughs> something. Um, and he also has done, part of the reason he has so many credits, he's also done incredible amount of voice work um, mm. over the course of his career. Um, and, and I would say, when I, I remember when I was looking up his stuff, it looked kind of like not quite equal, but probably like a third of his credits are voice work. Um, so... Just an all-arounder, really good. Um, to, now, the cast itself, I guess, ultimately is about... Wait, one, two, three, four, Okay, just five, a quick couple call-outs of seven, three people that... Eight, nine. So the whole cast starts out as a total of 12 people. And wait, can I just call out three people in there that I like and for the sure. reason that I like them? Absolutely. So I recognized... Some of these guys, the three that you mentioned, and then, well, not Wilford Brimley, but um, Richard Mazur, I yep. recognized. Yep. And I recognized him from, I wonder if you know where I recognize him all from. I recognize him from My Girl. He plays oh, of course. Dan the brother. brother. Yeah. Yeah. So I recognized him from that. Uh, TK Carter, I recognized mm-hmm. from Punky Brewster. And oh, you're right. Yeah. And he's also, I was just looking him up, and he was also in, I think, some Sesame Street episodes and maybe yep. something else. Oh, he was in Good Morning, Miss Bliss, which was the origins oh, of Saved by the Bell. Oh, right. Yep. So I recognize him from those. And then <laughs> Donald Moffat, who is actually like an old British actor. Um, he's the guy with, he's the old guy with the eyebrows. Yep. Um, I recognize him because he plays the dad in that crazy movie, House Sitter. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. Steve Martin's dad. He, uh, it's Yeah, that's right. Yep. 
I think I also recognize him. I'm just going to double check. I feel like he might have been in Beverly Hills Cop or something as one um, of like... I have his thing up of his, his uh, not IMDb, but um, he was also in The Right Stuff. Mm. Um Mission Impossible. Oh, no. he. Sorry, I must be confusing him with a different guy. I thought he was in Beverly Hills Cop, but it doesn't look like he is. But he's in a bunch of um, shit. He's in a bunch of stuff. Um, and so, yeah, I quite liked him as well and recognized him from stuff where I was like, couldn't quite tell you what, but yeah, definitely. It's, it's I mean, yeah, it's definitely House Sitter. Looking at this now, I'm like, it's definitely that for sure. Um... So those are some top picks. So that's the characters Clark, Knowles, and Gary. Um, Similarly, to round things out, we have Palmer, played by 39-year-old David Clennon. Dr. Copper, played by 53-year-old Richard Dysart. Norris, played by 41-year-old Charles Hallahan. Bennings, played by 38-year-old Peter Maloney. And Fuchs, uh, played by 31-year-old Joel Polis. And finally, Windows, played by 28-year-old Thomas G. Waits. Um, and so, like, you know, as with many you know horror this, you movie, know this movie... You know what this movie is missing, though? What? Women. Well, yes. <laughs> yes, of course. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I get um, it. Like, that. Well, what's interesting about that, I mean, that was a note that people made at the time, unsurprisingly. Um, But what's interesting about that is I have a friend who works on the history of, like, these various uh, Antarctic missions and stuff and, like, Mm -hmm. researches and things. Um, And women weren't part of those crews. I mean, Um, I believe that, for sure. I believe that it's historically probably accurate. There would have been a woman there. The I I mean probably in eighty two it would be just starting to change that like yeah. a woman would go out on these, <laughs> um, and in part I that's that. I mean I think partially of course it's sexism but it's also because um, and I I didn't actually think to look this up but I wondered um, in the context of this because I also have this friend who works on the, this topic I was like. I'm pretty sure this is actually quite a lot of people for a research station. Like, my impression yeah. is quite often that it's only ever, like, two or three people at a spot. Um, well, probably because you would have to have so many more rations and so right. many more, like, right. things and space and all of that. Right. So you, like, you get set up in your little, like, research lo- domain or wherever you are. And then mm-hmm. people are like, okay, bye. We'll see you in six months. Uh, whatever, you know, like, and so it's quite common for people to get very weird across that time. Yeah, well, like, yeah, I mean, it's sort of like, I was thinking, um, in this movie, I mean, I know there's like dire circumstances, but I was trying to think, I was like, like, I know they're not in space, but like, it's similar to like space, what do they call it? You may as well be, yeah. Do they call it space crazy? What do they call it? They call it, it's got a name, doesn't it? Stir crazy? No, no, no. Like when you're in space, like they, when you go crazy. Oh, I I thought it was called something. I mean, I believe you. I'm not thinking of the term. So Uh, I'm like space dementia, whatever, whatever it is. It's sort of (laughs) space um, madness, (laughs) something like that. And I would imagine in a thing like this, it's similar. Yeah. No. So like. That, too, is kind of interesting that they have so many people 
at this station that is like one well, of function better for the- of the plot. Like it just gives you more space yeah. to get to like kill some people and there's still some people left. Um, but yeah, like in terms of what I understand about a lot of these research stations, this is actually quite a big crew of people um, to be there. Um, yeah. The movie begins uh, where we see space and a UFO crash lands on Earth. And then I actually quite liked this effect where the the letters of like John Carpenter's The Thing come out and The Thing is like sort of like ripped out of the blackness, right? And then it's got light coming through the letters. I thought that was like just kind of a cool effect. Um, mm-hmm. And then we get our one title card, very brief, Antarctica, winter, 1982. Um, we open onto a snowscape where a helicopter is flying around and seems to be following a dog that is running through uh, the snow. Uh, a man is repeatedly trying to shoot the, jo- the dog. Um, and I will say it's kind of wild because I'm like, he's, he, I guess he's not good with weapons because he repeatedly misses this dog uh, many times over. I will also say that um, I have a cat and she doesn't always pay attention to the TV, but she was very locked in on this dog in this beginning part <laughs> to the point where she literally jumped up and like jumped up onto my TV. And I was That's like, okay, so this has gone too far. <laughs> yeah, she was like really interested in this dog. And I was like, I actually wanted the dog to not be on screen so she would stop watching it. How odd. I wonder, I mean, I yeah. would say that I did find it sort of strangely... Yeah, soothing isn't quite the right word, but the way the dog was running in the snow, I was like, is that what dogs look like when they run through the snow? I guess I didn't realize that. Like, It was also really making me want a husky, mm, personally. Sure. Th- but then what happens makes me not want one. Well, I have a lot of thoughts about the dog situation in this movie, but yeah. anyway. Yeah, so then we arrive at the U.S. Research Station, um, just as an interesting aside, um, while there are many countries who have research stations in the Antarctic, um, seven countries actually have claims to territory, um, which is to say they claim that they own a section of the Antarctic, and those countries are Argentina, Australia, Chile, France, New Zealand, Norway, and the United Kingdom. Interesting. Um, Now, probably unsurprisingly, though they have made those claims, very few other countries actually recognize those claims. Um, In fact, the only people who seem to recognize it are the other countries who've made claims, right? Like, um, so I think my understanding of both the Arctic and the Antarctic is they're similar to the rules that we've established about space, which is like, that's meant to be for all of humanity, mm. like, and so countries can't claim bits of them. Um, mm. but, but they'll still try. Well, yeah, and and admittedly, well, not admittedly, the Antarctic and the Arctic in particular have slightly different circumstances than space because people knew they existed and started doing various voyages to them 
in the era when colonization was absolutely the thing to do. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's a bit different mindset about the people who first get there versus how people think about these things now. Um, yeah. But so, unfortunately, the dog arrives at the research station. The Norwegian helicopter comes slamming into the snow by the research station and blows up for some reason. I don't really know why they couldn't just land like normal. Um, The last Norwegian comes and like starts shouting at them and trying to explain what's happening, but he still is also maniacally shooting at this dog, which they don't understand. Um, In the miscommunication moment, the Norwegian ends up shooting Benning's by mistake in the leg, um, which creates basically enough chaos to where Gary kills the Norwegian guy. Mm -hmm. And Clark um, pats the dog and brings it inside, which is the fatal mistake. Um, Back inside... Uh, oh, that's, oh, I forgot this last bit. There is a great, cause this is like quite the opening sequence. Yeah. Uh, as a, like to kind of the scene is closing, everyone's like sort of settling down and Kurt Russell, AKA McCready says, it's only the first goddamn week of winter. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good line because like, it's, it's like watching the movie and you're like, just the first goddamn five minutes, calm down. Right. Well, and it's like we've got so much. Like we're not even to the point where people are acting crazy yet. I, you know, like, (laughs) and this is happening. Um, Inside in the lab, Bennings is getting stitched up by Doc Cooper, and Windows is trying to radio for help um, because clearly whatever has happened here means something's going wrong, but they don't know what. But unfortunately, they aren't able to make any connection to the outside. Um, You know, okay, so I, oh, this is what I'm curious about. Maybe you can ask your friends. (laughs) Like, this is 1982, so obviously a different time technologically speaking. Are we to believe that currently... If there are teams on Antarctica doing research missions, blah, 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 the U.S. station there, they don't have more than a radio that could go out for any number of reasons or, like, they've got to have something more high-tech now, right? That like, I mean, I think they're better connected, obviously, than they were, what, 39 years ago or whatever. Yeah, they've got to um, be. Oh, no, it's more than 39. It's 41 years ago. Excuse me, 41 years ago. Literally, I would not Um, go somewhere where they're like, this one radio here is our connection to the outside world. Should we need help? I mean, there's they're better than they were then, but I still, like, don't... I do think that you probably are without, like, meaningful connection to the outside world (sighs) for whatever time you're out on those far-reaching stations. Like... Yeah, and course. that's because, like, I'm sh- like so. For example, what I, one of the things I also know from this friend is like, there's um, calling it a city is not correct, but there are like these like base camp sort of places mm-hmm. um, where 
uh, are like the setting off points for all the various like exploratory research groups and whatever. Sure. And I think those bases are kind of like open all year round in the sense that like the the place where you can get some supplies and the place where maybe there's like a bar in town and like, you know, like, so they have like some things there and people Mm -hmm. remain in that base camp place working those jobs all year round. And in fact, I kind Mm -hmm. of even remember, I maybe at one point ran across a job ad for something where it was like, are you between this age and this age, you would be perfect for working in Antarctic base camp. Right. And and it, and it is like, for six months, we pay you 60 grand or something. Like, it's quite a lot of money to get you to come That's down there. Um, That's not enough. I'm so sorry. Well, like, that makes no, me sound, it, like, greedy, it, but... Yeah, it's... it's I, there's no amount of money that would ever entice me to that style of life. Um, I don't think... It would but, have to be so much. It would... Okay, this is how much it would have to be for me. It would have to be so much... <laughs> So much that they wouldn't ever offer this. It would have to be so much that I could do it once, once, and like never and need to work, to work again. again. <laughs> yes, one Fair. six month period, and then that's it forever. Yeah, I mean, I get that, but like, I think some people. But even who are still, n- I'd be, I'd yeah, be nervous. People <laughs> who are not, people who are not like us, people who have more of a desire for camping and like certain types of adventure and stuff like there is a sort of person that this six months for me appeals to even, but like the thing is, is like the base camp life still is not for me, but sounds like from what I gather fairly okay. Like Wi-Fi exists at base camp. You can, you know, like all it's, it's, that's where civilization basically still exists. Like, um, a little bit more creature comforts. Yes. And like, and in fact, weirdly, uh, apparently like people just like fuck like rabbits there because there's very little else to do. (laughs) Okay. That also um, doesn't sound up my alley. So like, I I would really have to be making a lot of money. Yeah. But like, so, so in that sense, yes, that kind of, that places connectivity to the rest of the world, I think has improved tremendously from what it ever once was. Um, but I think when you're out on those research stations, again, some of it probably has gotten better. But at the yeah. end of the day, like, you're not going to run cables out there. You're not, like, you're just not going to yeah, do course. it it's, because yeah. it's just, like, there's no infrastructure for it. The cold itself makes it really hard to do certain things, you know? Like, so, um... No, I know. I mean, I watch videos of this lady on YouTube who lives on Svalbard. <laughs> oh, I just is... learned about this place as well. Yeah, which is, like, really remote, like, off of Norway, and it's not as remote as Antarctica, obviously, but, like, they do have places on it that are remote and that are, I do think it is a place also where a lot of research happens because it's, you know, lots of interesting uh, weather and blah, 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 but... And even there, sometimes they, she will show like, oh, this is like a cabin that you can rent, and then like part of the year it's done for used for research, and it is very much somewhere that you can only get to by snowmobile or like a boat, right? And so it's like, yeah, it, it's still very remote. So I, my guess, though I don't know for sure, is my guess that probably people on research stations aren't quite as cut off from things 
now as this debates. But I am fairly positive that a bad storm could really truly cut you off for days or weeks at a time. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I would hate it. You know, and, and I, I'm pretty sure you wouldn't have the internet. You know, like, you know, yeah. these things are still true. But you would hopefully um, not have, like, a an alien shapeshifter. <laughs> correct. That's that's what really messes this up. Like, people... Yeah, that really the does throw it out of whack. The people involved, the guys who signed on to this mission, they knew they were signing on to the mission for however long they were signing on to it. And they were fine with that. What no, they didn't sign on to. Can there be also a shape shifting alien that we have to like <laughs> battle for the Fight sake off. of humanity? Like that was yeah, a that's different rough. thing. Um, that's rough. So basically, they examine the Norwegian that Gary kills, and they are like, "Well, everything seems fine. We don't really understand what was going on with these guys." And for whatever reason, Doc Cooper is like. Let's go over to their research station and see if something's happening over there. Like, we need to tell them, basically, that we've killed one of their guys kind of thing. Uh-huh. Like, and while they're discussing the merits of that, we, the audience, are out in the hallway of the research station following this dog, walking around <laughs> by itself, looking at doors. It's like looking at open doors and, like, considering some things. And it goes into one room, and we see the shadow of a person sitting there turn to see the dog walk into the room. That's all we see. Mm-hmm. Then we cut to... There's still some, like, other kind of back-and-forthing, but, like, we then follow um, Doc, Cooper, Mac, and I think Gary goes with them to the Norwegian station. And... This place has completely been abandoned. Uh, The elements have gotten in. Windows are broken. um, And they find evidence of quite a lot of disturbing things. They find a bloody axe in the wall. Um, They follow a trail of blood uh, to find a guy sitting in a chair. Do you remember what the guy sitting in the chair looks like? No. Well, he's clearly slit his own wrists and then the blood has dripped out and frozen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. I remember the frozen blood. Yeah. Um, So there's a long, loving camera shot of that. Um, and, And I will say, even as I was thinking, boy, that's gross. Boy, that's graphic. I was like, it still looks kind of cool. Like, the idea of it is cool. Um, it's well done. I can't, I can't yeah. say that it's not, but it is gross. I don't think blood would act that way. Like, I don't think it would freeze no. so immediately that as you're splitting your wrists, like, but I don't maybe, think that's I mean, did the they case. they ever say how cold it was outside? I don't remember if they do or not, but it's, I mean, it's very cold. <laughs> it's um, insanely cold. I mean, yeah. I think it, so maybe it's it possible would that do. blood I might do that in yeah. an extreme temperature like that. Um, things just feel off in this place. Doc Cooper decides he's still going to take the notes that the Norwegians were keeping, um, on the off chance he can glean anything from them. Although I don't know how he will, if they are all written in Norwegian, but, um, he's hoping he'll make some heads or tails of it. Um, they also find like a, 
a chunk of ice that's been cut out of the bigger, you know, like the out, ice out in the ice fields. They found a chunk of ice that they've brought back to the research station. Um, and then they've all, they also find kind of a cache of burned bodies. Um, so things look quite bleak at the Norwegian research station, but they don't really know what has happened. Um, when they, we return back to the U.S. station and we're back into their lab, um, they, they've actually brought back one of the burnt bodies from the Norwegian lab. And so Doc Cooper and Dr. Blair are looking at it. Um, and this body that they've taken is unusual because it's incredibly mutilated as well as being partially burnt. Um, And this is one of the first reveals that we see where, like, the body has, like, two faces. Oh. Oh, yeah. Where, like, you can see, and I, like, I wrote it in my notes, like, the body has two faces, parentheses, torsion. So it looks like as if, like, imagine your face splitting in half down the middle and separating apart, and then as it's separating, each half starts to build the other half. I right? hate it. Like, it kind of looked like that. Yeah, um, I hate it. I mean, it's not a great look. I don't think this is going to be, like, a thing people will be asking for in plastic, elective plastic surgery sort of stuff. Can you please make my one face look like two faces, please? That's what it's I It's really like. important to me. Um, and... And so there's that body, but then there's also the body that Gary shot at the beginning, and there's nothing unusual there. Um, Also kind of striking, Blair, when he does his internal investigation, says the organs in the mutated body are completely normal inside. Mm -hmm. Um, So we don't really know what it means. Um, Then we go to the exterior of the research station where Clark is putting the new dog into the actual holding area where the other dogs are all have always been kept. Um, I would also like to ask your friend if they would have a team of dogs. Yes, on the research they do. Station. Yes. Yes. They do? Yes. Oh, and they're really important. Would... <gasps> really? Yeah. For the purpose of like carrying stuff or. It's more that like, um, my understanding is is that what they're really good for is when you like they help you travel around on snow and tundra like even though you might you're like you're not like on a sleigh anymore but like they are good for that sort of thing of like taking you around yeah yeah oh, so i guess they're I common I guess they're a common oh. feature of this sort of thing. Okay, that makes me like the idea of going there a little bit more. <laughs> but but I will say that I'm a little surprised by that, only because, again, it would be the idea of, like, more mouths to feed and more, like, responsibility sure. to be having. But, okay. If they have a purpose, they have a purpose. Okay. I'm just going to double-check in case. <laughs> um... Oh, I was wrong, actually. Um, Well, 
1982, they would have had dogs, and I'm sure they had a purpose. But now, dogs have been banned from the South Pole as of 1994 um, because they were spreading a type of disease that only they carried to seals. Interesting. And so I do, and to go back to that Svalbard thing, (laughs) I do know that on that island, they're also very, I mean, more people live there. It's different, but they're very specific about animals. And, um, you know, if you have a certain type of dog, a husky, for example, husky breeds have to be on leash at all time because they can, um, interrupt, uh, the nature by like, you know, killing rabbits or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's quite a lot of what, when I Googled it, that's a lot of what I found is that they've, like, yeah, disrupted local, uh, yeah. at, like, plant and animal life yeah. um, by being in there. But, yeah, I guess... Um, but in the 80s, they would have been. Yeah, no, because, okay. yeah, this is what it's saying in this other thing, which is that dogs and sleds are often kind of a better way of traveling across the terrain, um, than more traditional, like the, like a ski do or like, you know, whatever else you might use. Um, so that's why they were quite valuable to these research endeavors. Mm. Um, but I didn't know that they had been banned. So now we know that. Interesting. Um, intriguingly, now this seems weird to me because like when the dog is put in with the other dogs, at first it seems like it doesn't want to go in there. And I don't really know why, because it's like, it's not afraid. Like, it sh- it shouldn't possibly be afraid of these dogs, but... Maybe it knows that it's going to get found out. I guess, or maybe... Dogs are smarter than humans. Or maybe what it has been wanting is it wants to jump into a human body, and, yeah. like, now it won't have its chance. Yeah, because yeah. it's already a dog. And so it's yeah. like, I don't... This isn't getting me what I want out of it. Yeah. Um... The dogs, needless to say, immediately do not like it. Um, They start barking at it quite relentlessly. Um, And then, oh boy, then we get the real gross out. The first big gross out. Um, The dog's head and body, like it starts shaking first, if I remember correctly, or like something weird starts happening. And then its body like splits open. Yeah. And another weird thing sort of, like, comes out of it. Um, and it's sort of, like, and it's got, like, a weird, it's got shooting, like, um, string coming out yes. of it. And it's, yeah. and it's got, like, legs of a spider coming out yep. of it at points. Yep. Yep. And it's it, like, bad. so, yes, it's got these weird, I wouldn't even call them tentacles exactly, but it's got, like, what they reminded me of is, like, you know... Various animals have that like long tubular tongue that shoots out and they can like suck up food through the tube sort of. Yeah. Um, It sort of looked like that to me, what was shooting out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, But it could also wrap around things with it. And then, yeah, Yeah. like the, the spider legs pop out. And then it also like was like, Spraying some kind of acid at one dog. Okay, okay, that part really upset me because they really sprayed that dog with something. They sprayed a real dog with something, and it, that dog did not look happy about it. And I don't think that dog was acting. 
and the, in the eighties, but they, they didn't spray it with that. real acid. I know they. I know, but <laughs> still, it's spraying a dog is not nice. And if it really was cold there, that dog's going to get cold. And in the eighties, I know that they didn't have the same animal protections in movies as they might sure. have now. Yeah. So I did not like that part. Thinking about that dog. Yeah, so things start going nuts in the dog holding area. Um, Mac hears the relentless barking, hits the alarm. Everyone comes out to see uh, the dog mutating before their eyes. Um, yeah, it would be quite quite a thing to see. I forget who says this, but at one point, someone's running through the hallways, going into the storeroom. And they say, Mac wants the flamethrower. <laughs> like, yeah, I guess you would. Um, so they all come running out. They're shooting at the mutant. Um, I think Mac does try and burn it up. Um, but it eventually sort of like grows to such a height that it's able to climb up and out through the roof. Um, Rough. Whereupon Childs is able to eventually like burn the thing presumably to death. Um, in the lab the next day, Blair is doing an autopsy on the dog. Um, and in my handwritten notes, I wrote in all capital letters, lots of goop exclamation point. So, so much goop in this movie and like all different <gasps> colors of goop. Yep. Green, yeah, there like was, pukey color goop is yep. not good. There was goop for days in this one. Um, and so what Blair learns in the process of doing this autopsy, although I don't know how he knows this, it might just be he's surmising it based on what they saw, that um, the thing, as I'll now call it, can mimic any life form. Um and when Blair realizes this, he also realizes, because I think Clark even tells him that the dog was wandering around the station quite a while by itself, not in the holding pen with the other dogs, um, the night before. So Blair is fairly convinced that Clark has been assimilated by the dog, mm-hmm. um, that Clark is no longer really Clark anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, now kind of interesting when we, like, we've not quite gotten there yet, but I think this movie kind of gives the impression that when the thing fully takes you over, you don't actually even know that you've been taken over. Yeah. That's odd. Yeah. I don't precisely get... Like, I'd be curious to know what the thing looks like on its own planet. Like, does it have right. a home form that it takes, even though it can shapeshift? Like, right. And actually, I don't even know if I'd call this a shapeshifter exactly, because a shapeshifter just it's like means, a body jumper. Yeah, like a shapeshifter is like, I have a, a corporeal entity that is mine, and I can make it look like a chair, or I can make it look like a tree, or I can make it yeah, look like, like a... Yeah, it's like, what's her face um, from... Uh, uh, the, Are you talking uh, about oh. Alex Mack? No, but she's a good example. <laughs> but no, it's like um, Mystique. 
from. Oh yeah. The, yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah. So yeah, this isn't a shapeshifter. Yeah. You're right. This is a, like a body snatcher. This is a body jumper yeah. type of entity. Yeah. Um, which then does make me wonder, like, what is the thing that the Norwegians pulled out of the ice? Like, what did it look like? Yeah, I'd like to know that. Um, because that's what we also see. Like, Blair is watching the video footage that the Norwegians made of them bringing something up out of the ice. Um, which is that weird chunk that we saw in the research station. Okay. Um with, I guess, some of the notes that they've been able to decipher, Mac and some of the other crew decide they want to go out to where the Norwegians were digging, um, mm-hmm. where that ice block came from, and what do they find when they go out there? Well, they find a freaking UFO and, like, a big-ass, like, hole that they then also decide to, like, ice climb down into, which is insane. Right. They rappel down. They get into... Standing on top of a UFO, um, which is, and it's a very traditional one. It's like a flying saucer style UFO. Yeah. Um, And like when Mac asks, like, how long do you think this has been down here? The other guy responds like, oh, ice at this level is at least 100,000 years old. Um, So... So what does that mean? So that means they've been fighting this thing on Antarctica for 100,000 years and nobody's known no, it? No, no. That's the whole thing. So the, so that opening, like not even seen, that opening shot where we saw the UFO crash into the earth, yeah. it crashed into Antarctica. Human beings didn't even exist when it crashed. And okay. then it was in the ice and... Oh, it got exposed. Got stuck out of there. The ice. And then the Norwegians found it and brought it back out. Oh, those dumbasses. They didn't know. <laughs> they didn't know what was they bad. Fucked up. Um, they fucked up. But I will say, in terms of fuck ups, I also have a question. Hmm. What in the holy hell is that sideways hat, cowboy hat thing <laughs> that Kurt Russell wears? <laughs> What is that hat? I, oh I couldn't God. stop thinking about it the whole time. It was such a weird and bold choice that I don't but it, like, understand. And, and here's the thing about like a place like Antarctica. I can forgive a lot of fashion choices because it's like, fuck you, it's cold. Yeah. So if it's like a it's crazy hat. It's for comfort, it's like, not for but it's looks. warm. Like, yeah. Yeah. But it didn't look like it was warm. So, no, it like, didn't. Oh, so it looked like a Speedy that? Gonzalez sombrero, yes. like, but not it did. decorated, just plain. It, I mean, I would literally, that's why I was calling it like a sideways cowboy hat. It looked like, <laughs> it looked like a, you, it might be a cowboy hat if you wore it the other way, but he was wearing it sideways. I, I was so distracted by that whenever I, he had it on. I, I couldn't tell you what the reason for that was. Um, it's wild. It certainly didn't seem like it would offer any warmth for any no, reason. No, it did not. Um, so I'm, I, it's, that's an affectation of some sort. I just don't quite get what the affectation is. It's um, a choice and a half. It was. It was. But I mean, at least there was something there to look like. Because we I haven't. Mean, it was something fun to look at. But like. Yeah. 
I'm yeah. I was like, what is that hat? <laughs> I, I'm glad you mentioned it because I was like, is this something that merits discussion or are we just going to blow Absolutely. past it? I couldn't wait really to talk about it because I was like, <laughs> the hell is that hat? Like... <laughs> Come it on, was not really what and it was like I don't even know if I think the hat like he doesn't seem like the sort of person who would wear that tight like I could buy that maybe he'd have a peacocking hat of some sort but I don't think I would pick that one as the peacocking hat of choice um it was just so bizarre on so many levels it was a very like, weird if he was wearing like i don't even really like the look of those like i'm not sure what they're even called um those hats that are like furry and have like the two ear flaps i think those are really nerdy looking so like they're not a hat i would choose to wear for like fashion but i get that they're warm so right in antarctica wear it all you want but this again is not even I don't believe it's keeping you warm. So what is the choice? You must think that that looks good. And I have news for you, Kurt Russell. No? No good? Not good. <laughs> you look like a weird cartoon character. It's like, true. you look crazy. Yes. Anyway. And, I mean, maybe he is. We don't know. I mean, um, that's true. When we would come back to the rest or not the, the research station and go into their rec room. Um, which, by the way, we haven't described the rec room. Do you want to, like, give a try to what how you would describe their, like, hangout space? I, I don't know if I could, to be honest, I'm not sure that I ever could discern where they were. It all looked terrible. <laughs> um, but it's very stark, and not, I didn't see anything recreational about it. I'm oh, not quite sure. See, weirdly, the rec room to me is probably, like, the thing I can sort of relate to most in this movie in terms of, like, set decoration and, like, how huh. it's all done. Because they've got it set up where it's got some couches and some chairs, and it's got a ping-pong table, and... Okay. Um, actually, I just... I don't know if this is actually... Oh, I looked it up. I looked up some pictures because I think I just forgot. Oh, my God, my cat just scared me. Um, I... Okay, yeah, that is cute. Yeah, so, and it's got, like, a bar at the back with, like, some actual, like, bar sign or something. Like, you know, like, it's... Yeah, and I it think looks it, like... It looks like a weird 80s, like, kind of either a dive bar or, like, a creepy weird man cave. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a rec room from 1982. <laughs> like, yeah, I guess that's um, So they've they've all come back in there. This is also when I said that, like, the critique of this movie is, like, this is a really good advertisement for various forms of liquor because, like, they're often <laughs> yeah. drinking really heavily as well. Oh, um, that reminds me of another part, okay, that I have a question about. Okay, go ahead. Um, so when they all come back, Mac basically tells the group that, like, clearly the alien crash landed on Earth 100,000 years ago, more or less, and it climbed mm-hmm. out of the wreck, but then eventually was, like, overtaken by the freeze and was frozen in place in the ice. Um, the Norwegians, um, unfortunately, defrosted it, and... It's it's been a lie, or like it somehow remained dormant all those years. 
and and has been revived uh, with its contact to kind of normal weather, I guess, or like more normal weather. Mm-hmm. Um, needless to say, Childs is like, this is some bullshit. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, Palmer, however, buys into this theory because he's a bit, he's like kind of the weird one who's constantly smoking weed. Um, and I don't quite know what any of their names. I'll be honest, even though we like said it at the beginning, I don't remember which one. He's the guy. I want to say he's even wearing like, um, a hell's angels or similar like jean vest throughout the thing. (laughs) And he's, like, meant to be the resident sort of weirdo or whatever. Now, I don't know because it's never made clear what his, like, why is he there? Like, what is his expertise that he brings to the thing? So that I can't tell you. But, like, what's interesting about this is, like, he specifically says, like, oh, yeah, you know, this is actually totally common and normal. Just read Chariots of Fire. No, Chariots of the Gods. And so I Googled Chariots of the Gods. That's a real book. Um, that was originally published. Let me like just look it up again so I say the right thing. Chariots of the Gods. Um, so Chariots of the Gods is a book that was written in 1968 by a German guy called Erich von Daniken. Um, Whoa. and I, I think it looks like it was probably published in English soon after because then there's a picture on the Wikipedia page that in 1971 has the English, it's the English translation. So, um, but basically Chariots of the Gods is one of the first books to come up with the notion of the ancient aliens theory that has now become so like, I don't know if I'd call it popular, but people have heard about it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a whole show called Ancient Aliens. Um so, yeah, that's what Palmer says. He's like, they built the pyramids, the Incas were there, and they were getting all this stuff. And I was rolling my eyes at that because, like, the ancient <laughs> aliens thing is, like, just a new form of racism that says brown people can't figure out how to make pyramids, essentially. Mm. And I'm like... Oh, I remember you telling me something about that once. Yeah, so he's, like, the conspiracy racist guy. So I guess those always exist. You always have to have one somewhere. Fun. Um, and as they're discussing this, Knowles comes in on his roller skates, which, cause he's fun. Um, <laughs> he comes into the room to say that someone has left a bunch of like ripped, dirty clothes in the kitchen trash. Um, and everyone's like, well, wasn't me. I don't know. Can't speak to it. Um, Meanwhile, back in the lab, Blair is doing a simulation based on the information that he has collected about the thing. And he he's sitting with a computer. And, I mean, I don't know if this is how computers work or if it's, like, not how computers work. Because I have never used a computer to run a probability simulation or, like do a calculation like this. But I guess that's just because that's not what I use a computer for. Um, yeah. But so the first thing he we see on the screen, it says probability that one or more team members may be infected by intruder organism, 75%. Whoa. Pretty bad. That's not great. That's a very concerning thing to learn. 
Um, and then this ties into saving humanity. Do you want to read the additional projection that the computer makes? Yeah, it says, if intruder organism reaches civilized areas, <laughs> I don't think I clocked this, I'll be honest, entire world population infection 27,000 hours from first contact. Now, okay, 27,000 hours. Did they say what that is, 27,000? No, they didn't, but I did the calculation if you want to know oh, what that what is. is. So that's 1,125 1, days. Or yeah. a little over three years. Oh, you know what? <laughs> That's bad. But I feel like the selfish part of me... Now, granted, they're on Antarctica and it gets really bad and, like, who cares? But three years, if someone was like... <clears throat> wow, I guess I shouldn't say this. But if someone was like, yeah, the world and, like, humanity is going to die, but it's going to take three years, I'd kind of be like, that's the people three years from now's problem. <laughs> like, if you say it's going to die tomorrow, everyone's going to die tomorrow, sure, might as well, you know, throw myself on that. But I guess I'm going to be here in three years, too, so, like, it's going to be my problem then, well, too. Well, and I think, I mean, there's a couple things that spin off from this, because... <laughs> One, we don't really know what the thing wants. We are under the impression that it's bad. Right. But if it if what it wants is to somehow just like be like cuz it could be like something like like if it took over everyone, would we be like a collective unconscious? Like would we all just be like appendages? We'd all be this thing? Like we'd be appendages of the same mind. Right? Like, mm. so, so is that what it wants? Does it want to kill us? Um, and also I will say it takes three years for everybody to be infected as that's like the language they're using. I'm not even sure if infection really is the proper term, but like, yeah. um, like I think probably you actually have less than three years because, if, say, half the world's population is infected in a year and a half, yeah. then then it's already over, <laughs> I think. Well, like, right. Um, like, if you're waiting, if you're saying it's over only when the very last human being is taken over, that's not true. Like, the thing will have right. controlled things much faster than that. Um, I guess, and we don't actually know, like... Also, I guess I don't know quite. And when it's a little ambiguous with if you say if intruder organism reaches civilized areas, what exactly does that mean? Because these people, if they get all infected, does does the thing somehow travel over oceans, or is it still just contained to Antarctica? Well, I think the presumption would be is like say the, in this movie, what happens is the thing ultimately takes over everyone and there's no death and there's no mayhem it just everyone is the thing um and then they even if they're fully assimilated by the thing they even still think that they're themselves right like so then they can just return to their respective homes wherever that may be and then okay so the only times that okay wait then i'm a little confused about when this thing kind of quote unquote like comes out right so 
if they didn't try to kill some of these people or these people didn't die, they would just continue on as looking like themselves but being taken over. I think so. Okay. And why did but they so, just do that? <laughs> well, but I mean that's I guess that's the final question that emerges from this. And it's the same kind of as like if we were all a collective unconsciousness, but we're still like physically alive. Like Yeah. I guess the question becomes like would you, st- even though you imagine yourself to still be you, if the oh. thing is in there, are you really you? You know, like mm-hmm. that's what it kind mm-hmm. of gets down to. Um, okay. And I don't have the answer for that, but I, that's what this movie twists upon, which is like, how would I say? Like, I guess what it is, is it seems as though the thing's main priority is survival, and and propagation, right? So like yeah. you can you can be taken over by the thing, but you can still be like, but I'm still Sarah Walsh and I still remember my childhood and I still remember all this and that. But like as soon as I come in contact with someone who is not thing assimilated, some portion of me will try and like make it be assimil- make them be assimilated too. Yeah. Which I would not okay, do if I were just great. Which I would not do if I were just actually me minus thing. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I see I see it. I get it. I mean, none of it's good. I don't think there's a great outcome if you're right. if you're you know, if you read what I would actually be like, what my reaction in this moment would be if I read that on a screen, I'd be like, God damn it. I know. Yeah. Well, and that's... I didn't want to have that choice in my life. And that's exactly Blair's reaction, because he sort of shakes his head and then takes his gun out from his desk. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, God yeah, damn exactly. it, now I've got this to deal with. Um, yeah. Meanwhile, they've decided to put the mutated body into the supply room, and unfortunately, Bennings gets left alone with it. Um, meanwhile, outside and like, I don't know what I'd call it. Let's call it the lawn of this place. Uh, Fuchs reaches out to Mac and he's like, have you noticed how Blair is like being separate from the rest of us? He's acting really weird. Um, he's just sitting in the lab all the time. Um, and I've found some of his journals. They sound really weird. I think we should be concerned. But no sooner does Fuchs say this than Windows comes rushing out um, to find Fuchs and Mac to be like, Bennings has just been taken over by the thing um, because Windows had gone into the supply room to see Bennings like wrapped in more tentacles and like grossly kind of red goop was happening in that moment. Yeah, Um, it kind of reminded me of like, if you ever watched Stranger Things, um, the, one of the seasons, and it might have even been the first season, where the kid who's like on in the underneath, like has like a gross like alien goop tentacle in his mouth thing. Mm. Oh, I um, sort of remember that. It kind of reminded me a bit of that. Like whatever was happening to Bennings for it to be for him to be assimilated by the yeah, thing. I think I've said this before, but like as an 
if I were an actor, like, that was successful <laughs> in, like, in real things, I would have trouble with the sci-fi genre in terms of, like, if they were, like, you have to put this goo in your mouth and then, I like, know. spit it out. I know. I know. Yeah. I think it's, like, one of those things, either you're someone who's, like, this is the most disgusting thing I've ever done in my career, or you might be the kind of person who's, like, oh, man, I get to have an oh, on-stage yeah. death and I get to look real gross. Oh, great. <laughs> well, okay, that is true because actually I feel I, I said it and then I immediately was like yeah but if it was like a horror movie and it was like I had to spit blood out of my mouth and do like a death scene like that I do actually think that would be kind of fun right um, as gross as it probably is whatever that stuff is you have to put in your mouth so that it's just like the literal uh, task of having it in your mouth and having to like whatever yeah. that whatever yeah. it is that would freak me out but an on an on screen or on stage death, I do think would be fun. Yeah, and this is memorable. I'll say that this is a memorable <laughs> one um, because as soon as they rush back into the supply room, Bennings is now gone. Mac hits the alarm. They go back outside, and the whole group now watches as the Bennings thing falls to his knees on the ground. Um, he's got like it's weird because his reaction when he sees them, he looks around at them. And as though he somewhat recognizes them, but is also confused. And then he does this weird, like, gross, like, sirenish shout, scream thing. And his hands have started, the, his hands still look, like, so his face looks like Benning's, but his hands look like the thing still Ooh. coming out of the bottom of his jacket. Yep. Um, so needless to say, Mac then burns him up um, with his flamethrower. Uh, the whole group watches, and after this whole thing transpires, they basically decide that what they need to do is to burn all of the infected remains. They can't save it for study. It has to be destroyed. And as they're doing that, they realize that B Blair's still missing. He's the only one of the group who's, like, been holed up by himself, um... And then as the kind of burial of the burnt remains is completed, Maxie's Blair running around by the helicopter. And when Blair and when Mac checks it out, it, Blair has sabotaged the helicopter, or at least that's what it that appears as, is what's happened at this point. Um, mm -hmm. Mac then hears a gunshot, runs inside, to discover that in the communications room, Blair is now freaking the fuck out. He's busting up all of the various communications equipment um, oh, yeah, with yeah, an yeah. axe, so I want to say. Yeah, and he's yeah. its like he's really freaking out And because mainly what he's saying, he's like, no one can come here and no one can leave. Um, so I guess part of what that involves is making it so that no one communicates with the outside world. Um, yeah, he doesn't tell us this, but we hear from some, one of the other characters that Blair off screen has also killed all of the dogs that remain. I do hate that. I hated that. Um, and, and presumably it's because like Blair is now deeply concerned about the spread of the thing. So he's like, I get we've got to cut ourselves off completely. And that. he's acting right. alone because he doesn't trust that he thinks there, you know, so many because of that computer thing. They're all they, any one of them could they be could infected, be. so he can't tell yeah. anyone what he's doing. 
I mean, I will say that, like, as a person with, like, trust issues, this scenario would be a problem. (laughs) Oh, I think Um, even for the most trusting person in the world. (laughs) I mean, I guess that's the thing. The most trusting person in the world would have different problems coming out of this scenario, but it would be bad either way. (laughs) Yeah. The trust thing and, like, not... The feeling of not being able to trust anyone, like... A, I think I'd be really bad at it. I say that I have trust issues, but part of my trust issues is I trust people too much. Right. And if they said, like, I'm not an alien, I'd be like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I was going to say, and this is such a, this is like a baseline trust issue of like, are you human or not? This isn't like, are, are you going to hurt me someday? Or like, you know, like this is like a very basic, like, can I trust? What the, are you? That the person I see in front of me is in fact a person. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, it's deep. It's not good to like yeah. be unsure of that. So he's, like, freaking the fuck out, and eventually it takes the remainder of, like, the party to even subdue him enough to drag him out to the tool shed where he is being placed for the protection of himself and others. Um, He then has a moment with Mac where he says, um, you know, you really need to watch Clark closely He because of how much time he was spending with the dogs. Um, oh, okay. Okay, this is where I like to talk about alcohol one more time. Yes. So they do. They do lean really hard on the alcohol in this movie. And yes, because it. it's it's it gets its own shots, like multiple yeah. angles of different bottles getting like, um, which is now um, my next question is like, can you bring alcohol to Antarctica? Oh, um, <laughs> I was like, what's your next question? Um, yeah, well, what I will say about this particular moment is this guy has a freak out. They're like, we literally need to, like, separate him because he's murderous and put him out in this shed. But what should we, well, let's leave him with some alcohol. That's get someone to be real sane real quick. That's a mistake, in my humble opinion. Yeah. Okay, so... Interesting. Um, so apparently, uh, you can, you don't need to bring your own alcohol to Antarctica. Um, but they just have it there. <laughs> they do. They even have a pub what? there. <laughs> they do. What? Um, okay. How did they get it there? Uh, so. This is from Australia, and it's from 27th July, 2021. The amount of alcohol at Australian Antarctic research stations will be aligned with current Australian government health guidelines on personal consumption. So you are allowed to bring your own booze out to the research station. Um, and then, so advised. And then they say that's no more than 10 standard drinks a week. So that's not even... That's a lot! <laughs> well, but the thing is, is like... 10 standard drinks isn't, like, the amount that you would expect it to be. Like, Because, like, a pint in Australia is more than one standard drink. Like, the standard serve of a a pint is more... A standard drink tends to be smaller than what we get served as, like, here's a glass of wine, here's a beer, here's a... You know, like... So it's 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 not... ounces or whatever it is. Yeah, so it's not the same... Yeah, it's not the same as, like... Even just being like, you can have 10 glasses of alcohol in your home. Like, 
that would yeah. be the average person would probably pour more than is a standard <laughs> drink. They'd be like, great, 10 is equal to this uh, handle of vodka. I can get 10 yeah. out of that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so, but it's, but however, basically it says that you can have seven cans of full strength beer per week, so a beer a day, um, okay. or you can have 1.5 bottles of wine or champagne per week, or you can have a half bottle of liquor per week. Whoa. I feel like they still had more than that, though. I'll say that. They like, didn't. Oh, they absolutely did in this case. But, like, what I was curious about, because I wrote the exact same thing in this scene. I was like, can you really bring your own booze out to these stations? Because that seems like a bad idea. But it also seems like a bad idea to give this guy, in this very particular scenario, any booze. Yes. Also He's true. well. Also true. Um, yeah. Yeah. You're allowed to buy booze to bring to your research station. Interesting. Um, oh, interesting. And then I, this is what I was also trying to remember. So there's also a, so the place that I kind of called like a base camp, like a city, is called McMurdo. Um, okay. And there is a place there called Gallagher's Pub in McMurdo. <laughs> so there's like, like that's wild. I'm curious. Like, is there are there people who like live on Antarctica full time? Like someone who owns that pub or something? Or is it like, are there any like native Antarcticans? Is that a thing? Well, no, you don't get born. Well, maybe somebody actually at this point maybe has been born in Antarctica. Um, but, what would uh, their their, like citizenship be? It would probably be tied to the citizenship of, yeah, the parents. Um, According to this, this is from January 2014, there are three nightclubs in McMurdo <laughs> Station. What? Um, I don't Maybe know. Maybe I will do that base camp job. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so you are allowed to bring booze, although they have been, it looks like more recently, they are trying to um, tamp down on some of it because people get out of control. Um, Yikes. So, yeah, this is from September of tw- this year. Um, new rules were taking up effect that workers will be able to order only alcohol-free drinks um, oh. at McMurdo's two main bars, Southern Exposure and Gallagher's. Two main bars. That means they have more than two bars if there happening? are two main I'm bars. So- um, <laughs> but you can now confused. imagine I'm, this. I'm, imagine a scenario next where vacation, the- Antarctica. I'm not signing on to that, although this does seem intriguing in its way. Now, imagine this. This is a place where you can go to the bar, but you have to bring your own alcohol to drink. Yeah, that's weird. I mean, there are technically, okay, bars not so much, but there are definitely like restaurants and stuff like that where that's a thing. But a bar is definitely, that would be weird. Yeah. So... Yeah, it sounds. Wait, but all the bars—that's what's it. That's what it's like there. Like and a nightclub well, too. It's like it's like it we, said, we provide you the space, but you have to create the rest of it. Like yeah, well, we it call says, it a nightclub, but really, it's just a room. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it were that. <laughs> like to be honest, <laughs> um, even before these rules, I wouldn't be surprised if it were that. Um, this is a nightclub. Okay, it's just a room, but if you turn down the lights and like bring right. a flashlight and kind of music, cool. we've it's a bought. Nightclub. 
We've bought that one thing that every other kid in college had where it's that weird black ball with the multicolored holes that like will spin around and we've set that up and we've got someone's (laughs) Spotify playlist set up on a like uh, a speaker. So that's like kind of what we're doing here. Um, No. So I might my my read of what I was just getting from a very brief Internet search is it seems like probably when people are in McMurdo Station, because that's like the the base camp before you go off into the super far flung reaches, is Mm -hmm. that people would get fucking plastered and do bad things. And so they were like, yeah, you can't be doing this. Um, Yeah, because they're probably like to control about to. Yeah, they're like, I'm about to be, like, fully off the fucking grid for, like, six months and probably freeze my ass off for six months and have to, like, be working and... Yeah. So they're like, I'm gonna... I'm gonna go the hell off right now. Right. Well, and it's... Because it's still... It's mostly younger people who are going yeah. down there. And it's still mostly men. And yeah. so it is like, yeah, this is we know like, men can't be trusted. Well, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is, is I like, I know what you were saying. Trust issues, McGillicuddy over there. <laughs> like, um, but like, what I'm saying is like, so I guess the way I read that one thing is like the big, the two main bars. That's what they said. The two main bars in town, which suggests that there are other bars. But those yeah. two main ones where I guess presumably most of the partying is happening, um, they are no longer allowed to serve alcohol. You can you can bring it for yourself to the bar, which is, is so a, funny, which is a very weird thing. But, you know, I guess it can keeps, you imagine being like, hey, guys, I really want to have a drink. Let's go to the bar. Let's get our let's get our booze. Like, yeah. Let's pack up and bring it over there. Like <laughs> um, we really need like a specific type of ambiance to drink at I mean I guess that's kind of what a bar is anyway yeah it yeah it's true like it's the point of the bar is less the alcohol specifically and more like I want to be out of my house and have a drink like that's the point of it yeah um and I get that I mean same thing with I mean quite frankly a restaurant is similar it's like I, I there is food here Right, like, but I want to go somewhere. I don't want any food. of this food, though. <laughs> That's true. I mean, I guess that would be weird. Okay, no, no, no. It's a little different. It would be like if I took my leftovers to a restaurant, Correct. Yes. and like sat sat down at their table. <laughs> yes, like, I'm going to eat these. Leftovers I just like here. the ambiance of this restaurant, and so I just wanna, I want to eat this really crappy like leftover rice dish in this fancy restaurant. Though is that yeah. okay? That is yeah. bizarre. That would be weird. Yeah. So anyway, they leave Blair with an incredible amount of booze and some canned food. And that's where we are. Um, At this point, uh, they're standing outside and talking, and without communications or the helicopter, they're cut off from the rest of the world until spring. And I think Gary says, like, we just have to wait till spring. And Mac is like, we're not going to survive till spring. Yeah, he said five Um, minutes ago it was, like, the first day of winter. (laughs) I know, I know. So it's like, this is a rough, like, if spring were two weeks from now, maybe, but, like, we're definitely not going to make it. Um, so he's like, we need to figure out a way to figure, we need a test to figure out who's human and who isn't. And Doc, uh, Doc Copper has like, oh, I've been thinking about that. I actually have a way I think I can do it. There's a blood serum test I was thinking of doing. 
unfortunately, as soon as he says that, he like the words are still hanging in the air. Blood serum <laughs> test. They go to the lab, and all the blood has been tampered with. It's all defrosted. It's all gone bad, apparently. Um, which so- starts a new round of ac- accusations. Problems. Um, oh, yeah. Because at this point, the only people who had access to that blood is Doc Copper and Gary. Um, and so everyone, as you see in my outline, every start, everyone starts yelling. Like that's just, <laughs> they're all accusing each other. Um, and as a result, windows freaks out. He runs down the hall and kicks the glass in on this like weapons locker that they have. He pulls out a rifle and starts holding it, you know, like training it on all of them. Gary pulls a gun on him because a Gary, I guess, up till this point has been the leader of this group. Although I, that wasn't mm. super apparent at any point. Um, Mac manages to talk them both down. And after this encounter, Gary is like, this is kind of beyond me. I can't like be in charge anymore. We need somebody else to like take the reins from me. And everyone just sort of like turns their head at Mac and is like, so you with you right <laughs> i mean you wear that weird sideways hat so it you, seems like that's you'd be the leader that's the hat of a leader so we yeah, totally. assume you must be gunning for that role now um you and so I'm he sort d- of surprised about that this is no this is a dark thing to say so like trigger warning i guess mm. but you know what doesn't ever happen in this movie which i think would <laughs> is no one threatens to kill themselves no excuse me I think that that would be a reaction that someone would have so like in that scenario with windows it's like it's too much he goes with that rifle and like puts it in his own mouth sorry but like I feel like that yeah it is surprising crazy yeah it is surprising that no one does that although later we do see that Blair has made himself a noose in his tool oh, shed. that's right. Um, but he hasn't used it yet. Um, yeah. They decide that they're for whatever reason, they're going to burn and bury the blood bags, I guess, because since someone tampered with them, we have to assume that they could have be thingified in there, like the blood right. itself could be thingified. Um, <laughs> and Max, or Mac is still like, we have to figure out who's human. We know that some of us are because if all of us were the thing, like we'd all be dead, basically. So it's like the fact that some of us, that we're all still alive suggests that at least some of us are still human. And so we need to figure mm-hmm. out who the thing is. Um, like Mac at this point then goes off onto his own for a little bit and he seems to realize that like they've found a bunch of like ripped clothes. Mm-hmm. For each transformation. And so he's like, people, it seems that if you've become a thing, then your people find your clothes you rip ripped your clothes up. Off. Um, back in the lab, Fuchs is trying to work on a test to figure out who the thing is. But then the lights go out in the lab and something passes by his door, which draws Fuchs out to the outside of the research station where he's looking around and what does he find but some of McCready, Mac's ripped clothes, which suggests that Max has been turned. Um, Fuchs then disappears. So Max says, we need to figure out where Fuchs is. 
um, will search in teams to go find him. Um, and in 20 minutes, if you don't find him, come straight back to here, to the rec room. Mac, uh, Nalls, and I think one other person who I can't remember right now, go and check on Blair. And they specifically asked to, to know if he's seen Fuchs. Um, mm-hmm. And this is where, I mean, it's quite subtle because, like, they p- Blair is in this tool shed and they, like, pull, like, um, a viewport, like, to the side, like a little rectangle where they can look in at him and see what he's doing without unlocking the door. And when you see, the shot that we see is just Wilford Brimley sitting at a table, the door with the little rectangle, and then right in the foreground is a noose hanging Mm -hmm. where he's been clearly considering the end of his life at some point. Um, Now, at this point, Blair seems like he's settled down considerably from his previous freak out. Um, And he's so much more even keeled and reasonable now. He's really angling to be let back into the station. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also seems extremely sure that Fuchs is not a thing. Um, Mac, however, decides to leave him in the shed, which I think is a good dia- idea because I think Blair at this point has turned into the thing. Okay. Because later it's revealed that he is one. Um, oh, okay. And I think this is when we know that he is because... I think like do you think that, he was when he had that freakout, or do you think? No, I think the freakout is the last time we see him as human being, Blair. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because the fact that that noose is just hanging there and it's not been used, I think like is like a fake out sort of thing. No, like Blair, human oh. Blair, realized what was happening somehow oh. and considered killing himself, but before he was able to do it. The thing fully oh. assimilated. And then he was like, I don't, I'm not going to kill myself. Like, why would I? Like, oh, interesting. You know what I mean? Like, it totally okay. changed his perspective because now he's like, I need to get back in with the rest of you. Like, okay. okay. That's my, because yeah. like he can't, he can't do anything as a thing when he, there's nobody to assimilate. Right. Okay. At least that's my read of what the thing, like I said, I, it seems like the thing, as an organism to itself only cares about ever expanding. Like, yeah. So, and it's not even, it's not even about survival per se. It's just about expanding. So, yeah. So that's my read on what happens Mm -hmm. here. Um, Meanwhile, when they start walking back, they find Fuchs's body burnt up. Um, it's unclear precisely what happens to him. Mm-hmm. Um, but pro- I think we can assume that he figured something out and the thing didn't want him to tell them. And so, yeah, somebody actually killed him. Um, there's also a light on in Mac's shack and he wants to check it out. So by the time we get back into the rec room, Mac and Knowles have been gone for 45 minutes, so well beyond what the outer limit of time was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So the rest of the group decide that they're going to board up all the windows and doors um, to kind of prevent against any sort of catastrophe. 
Mm-hmm. Knowles manages to find his way back, and he's carrying Max ripped clothing. So everyone is basically like Max the thing. Mac is it. He's been infected. Um, and Mac, meanwhile, is able to break in through the window in the supply room. And now he's losing his shit. Um, and I forget precisely, but he basically like holds them at dynamite point because he's got like a handful of dynamite and is like shouting kind of like not incoherently, but like there's a lot happening here. And in the dust up, Norris, one of the other guys who's rarely even barely there, um, gets knocked over and seems to be severely hurt or even dead potentially as a result of this uh, altercation. So he's carried into the lab where Doc Copper tries to start reviving him. But then what Mm -hmm. happens to Doc Copper when he's trying to help this guy? Oh, yeah, his hands get bitten off. Oh, that's right. Oh, girl. He's like, this dude's, like, stomach, like, opens up into, like, teeth. Yep. That part was real gross. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's so gross in so many ways because it's like the the stomach cavity opens up. It has teeth. Those teeth chomp down on the guy's, both of his arms at like the elbow point. So then the actor is like literally like wandering around with like bloody stumps Mm. shouting (laughs) (laughs) at one point. And then the thing thing comes up out of the stomach as like a weird... Like, snake with, like, a human head. Correct. Yes. Oh, it's real gross. It's really gross. So, like, that thing comes up out of the stomach. Meanwhile, the actual head of Norris, like, drips off the back of the table, down onto the floor, and then the head grows legs. Spider legs pop out of it again. (laughs) And it, like, travels around where, like, it, it was really gross because... So then... I mean, this Mac, movie really is, like, body horror style. It is. It really is. Because, um, like, then Mac uses the flamethrower on the part that's coming out of the stomach bit. He kills that one. But then the head of Norris with its spider legs, I brought, like, if you looked at it carefully, which many a person wouldn't, the head... <laughs> is actually upside down. So the legs of the spider are coming from where his hair would be. And so his head is like upside down. And then like the eyes and mouth are like reversed. Right. And so like there are eyes at the bottom of the face that was once actual Norris. And then there are other little eyes that pop up out of what is the top of the new head that are like the eyes that would come out of like, um, like a sea creature, right. Where they're like at the end of some like, tentacly things are some eyes that come up out of the top. Um, so gross. Real gross. Um, Mac manages to burn that one up as well. Um, and this really amps up his paranoia. So his decision, is, now they're back all in the rec room, he insists on tying up everyone while he tests them to see if they're human. Um... As they're debating the fairness of this, tempers run high, and Mac ends up shooting Clark right in the head for no reason at all, seemingly. Um, But what 
Mac has learned as a result of like what's just happened with Norris, even thing blood doesn't like want to be obliterated. So he's like, if I heat up a wire and put it into a thing of your blood, if you're a human, it will just sputter. If you're a thing, the blood will actually move away. It will like repel away from the hot object. Okay. So that is what they then begin to do. For whatever reason, Mac trusts Windows enough to do the blood tests, like to draw the blood from each person. Um, And so they do, they start a round of testing and Windows, Mac, um, Doc Cooper, and Clark are all human. That's determined. Now, unfortunately... This is a little too late for Doc Cooper and Clark. They're both dead. But nonetheless, we know that they're human, so we don't have to worry about their corpses reanimating for any reason. That's good. (laughs) Silver linings. Yeah. You take it where you can get it. (laughs) Then, as Windows is turning to Palmer to get blood out of him, Palmer starts freaking out. Um, And then he then... His body, it's so interesting because each time the thing appears, it's, like, somehow different than the last one. Yeah. So, like, I don't really get what Which the again, thing... Yeah, I don't get what it is, but I would say, good again, good on the special effects people because that's For a sure. lot of work. <laughs> it is a lot of work. Because, like, in this case, Palmer sort of, like, starts just swelling up almost. like And, like, then he sort of explodes from the inside almost. Um, and then he just becomes this like thing where it it, like jumps in a way and then it's like crawling on the ceiling briefly. Um, this is almost a very like, um, exorcist moment to be honest. Like it Mm. scuttles around in this weird way. And then it like comes down onto the ground and like attacks windows. And again, this thing is gross as hell. Like it attacks windows by its head opening down the middle. Oh God. And making like a big chompy mouth. (laughs) And then the mouth head chomps on windows head and then starts like waving windows around the way, like a rag doll would be waved by like a child or something, you know, like just really sloppy, floppy, whatever. Um, this one to me might have, for me, been the grossest one because it also went on for what it felt like quite a long time. Um, and then Max manages to both burn up and explode Palmer thing. Windows is also obviously already dead as a result of this attack. Um, mm-hmm. But here's my question because I wrote this in my handwritten notes. Like, it's one thing to burn the thing. Because that does seem to kill it. Mm-hmm. But if you explode it into little bits. All oh, the little bits, would they not like. Don't, isn't that what we've learned? Things? Like, because he's just said, like, even their blood will keep right. doing something. And when, he, and when he does that blood test and it's like the bad blood, it does jump out of the thing. Right, right. So I'm like. Maybe maybe you can explode it once it's burnt, but I don't know. To me, it seems very unsafe to let it explode, and then you'd have all these bits. I also, 
Yeah, I definitely. I also am curious as to, in a normal, like, say this was a normal research scenario, what hmm. is a flamethrower used for? Great question. <clears throat> Here's another thing. I don't think flamethrowers as an item really exist the way this movie suggests they exist. Yeah. Well, like, I would I would think so, too. I have no frame of reference for that. But, like, I mean, I know, like, blowtorches exist, but that's not quite a flamethrower. I mean, what they literally have is, like, a hose that, that does... Also... Do they ever show him like refilling it with gas or anything? Maybe I wonder that, that as well. Twice. Yeah. So okay. So flamethrowers are a real thing, and they have okay. been used in modern military conflicts since apparently okay. um, the Civil War, which is weird. Um, yeah. Wow. wow. Okay. Um, but yeah, I think the I was similarly waiting for a moment where they were going to run out of flame flamethrower fuel. Yeah, and you think. then it would be like, now what the fuck do we do? Because this was like the main tool against this thing, and we don't have it now. It also doesn't answer your original question, which is like, why would you need that for this scenario? I don't because what because they're researching what. Well, I don't. I. I mean, like weather? probably. I guess it probably matter, weather patterns. Like, probably. Um, I know that in other movies about these kinds of things, they often do like take samples of ice and then work things mm-hmm. out from that. Organisms um, and that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. 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 Um, so no, a flamethrower in any of the scenarios I can imagine being what you're like there for. Need that. <laughs> no, it doesn't seem like a great item to have. But what do I know? Um, Hey, it's it's turned out to be it helpful really for is, them. It's really been clutch in this situation. Yeah. I mean. um, now, as if nothing has happened, the testing continues, and Nalls, Childs, and Gary are also all proven to be human. Oh, I forgot the best part though. So, so while this whole thing where Mac is like flame throwing Palmer thing, and like Palmer thing is running around, and Windows gets eaten by a half head. Like, all this is happening. And as it's happening, uh, Knowles, Childs, and Gary are still all tied up, sitting right next to Palmer Thing. And so all three of these guys start screaming and are like, (laughs) untie me, untie me, what the fuck? um, Yeah, I'd be pissed. And I will say, I felt like it was a great bit of acting on all three of Mm -hmm. their parts because they kept screaming at full scream volume for quite a while. Um, yeah, it was good. I and would it was like, I would react similarly. I'd be like, you can't this, this. Yeah, and what I liked about it as well is like it really captured the kind of hysterical screaming that often only women do in movies. <laughs> like, because um, they yeah. just wouldn't, they did not shut up, which I guess you wouldn't. But like, um, you know. It reminded me of women in the way that like they didn't really shut the hell up. Correct. It really reminded me of that. (laughs) Um, So needless to say, like, we calm down a bit and they get tested. They're all human. Great, great, great. Um, And then Mac is like, I think we should also go test Blair to see if he should be allowed back 
into the group. When they arrive at the tool shed, however, unfortunately, um, the door to the tool shed, which had been locked from the outside, is now open and Blair has disappeared. They discover that he's escaped through a hole in the floor into this tunnel that he has made. And in the tunnel is a tiny UFO (laughs) that he has made. um, And he made it with parts that he's been stealing from the helicopter and other like machinery that they have. Uh, This thing is kind of smart. It's really smart. I'm also like, isn't it wild that you had this fancy ass spaceship from a hundred thousand years ago and in a hundred thousand years, the material from 1982 to me still doesn't seem advanced enough to make a spaceship. (laughs) Yeah. Um, that really is quite a feat of this thing's ingenuity. (laughs) Um, and also suggests like, this is what's interesting. That suggests that the thing does not want to take over the earth. Really? Like it's trying because oh, it wants to go back home. It's trying to leave, right? I mean, like, why else build that thing? And would you say also? Do you think that the thing is maybe this is a dumb question, but like feeding off of its host's brain, so that because it's Blair, um, he seemed like he was like. I don't remember what his exact title. Like was, that would make him kind of smarter smart. than if he was Palmer thing. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I mean, I guess kind of that's true because like we've been saying, if the whole point of the thing is to fully assimilate so that you don't even know that you're yeah. not you. It would be absorbing it, the intelligence. It would yeah, it would have I the guess. same it would have at least the same intelligence as the person who it absorbed. Yeah, interesting. But then I mean, it's not as though Blair knows how to make a spaceship, so I don't know about that's that true. part of it. Um, Mm, that's true. But anyway, he has attempted to make this spaceship. (laughs) Um, Knowles then says, because they've left Childs in the main research station to like make sure no one gets in. Knowles then says that he turned around to see Childs run out of the station. The lights then go out. And then Mac somehow makes, Mac makes a lot of judgments about the thing that in the story, like, you're not questioning it because it's the story and it's moving forward. But I will say, I'm like, how does this guy know these things? Like, he's now he's kind of, I guess so. He's figured out, <laughs> he assumes that what the thing is now trying to do is that they have, the remaining humans have made its existence in the past, what, 48 hours? Do we think it's I been 48 no, that's hours? That's a great question. It's actually a great question as to how much time passes in this movie. I really don't... They never sleep, I don't think. Do they ever show them, like, having a night, night's sleep? I think I once we see really. them going to bed. Okay. I think we see them okay. once going to bed. Okay, um, so maybe 48 maybe hours. Maybe 48 hours. But basically, he's like, we've kind of made life for this thing too difficult. And so what it's going to do is it's going to basically like hibernate itself, freeze itself until spring. And then when people come to rescue us in spring, like we'll be all dead. But that thing will like then jump on to, you know, the next round of people Mm. coming out. Right. So he's like, we can't let that happen. And so if freezing it is what it likes. Like, freezing it doesn't hurt it. We've determined that mm-hmm. it does not like to be burnt. 
So we need to burn this whole place to the ground. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good conclusion. Um, Which they start doing. They blow up the shed and the ship straight away. Then they go into the research station. It's Knowles, Mac, and Gary who are left. They're blowing everything up in the research station. They then go down to the generator room where they are setting up explosive to then really, like, not just to blow things up so that it looks like shit, but, like, Mac is like, this thing needs to burn right down into the ice, burn away everything. Um, This is when we see that as they're setting up the charges, um, Blair is still alive, and Blair attacks Gary first in a very interesting way because he doesn't want Gary to scream, so he puts his hand over his mouth. I didn't like this either. Oh, I didn't like this either. Yeah, and then it shows a, a bit of a shot where, like, Wilford Brimley's fingers are going into the skin of Donald Moffat's face. Like... Not good. Didn't like real it. Real gross. And then the real grossest of all to me is, like, then, a, like, a couple shots later, we see some... The thing dragging... Gary's body and the way he's dragging it is because its hand and Donald Moffat's face have become one and it's just like dragging his body along the ground so gross um the only person who dies I think question mark off camera is Nulls um he somehow wanders off while he's trying to set up his explosives it's unclear to me what because they show him seeing something that he seems to think is appealing, but I'm not sure what he mm-hmm. sees. So mm-hmm. he just wanders away. But I guess we're in- meant to infer that he is also gotten at some point by the thing. Um, the thing then scuttles under the floorboards and jumps out from beneath the floorboards to attack Mac. Um, this is where, when it comes up, um, it's like both a dog and a human at once, <laughs> which is intriguing. Um, and I, I suppose you could infer from that that like every organism that the thing uh, assimilates, it then can like be that thing, right? Like, so it mm-hmm. will like anyway. It was quite gross. Um, to which Mac then takes an explosive and says to him. Fuck you too! Throws the like the grenade. <laughs> the the massive explosions begin. He runs out into the snow um, to watch as pretty much the entire stations, like all the buildings, all the outbuildings, they're on fire. Everything's exploding. He kind of settles into a weird spot, and who should show up? But childs. They talk. Um. It's unclear to us as viewers, although I guess presumably they would know who's the thing and who isn't. Um, who, who, like, are they both the thing? Is only one of them the thing? Are they both human? And so... Well, presumably they wouldn't... Oh, well, I guess. They presumably wouldn't both be human, though, right? Because, well, I guess they could be. They, they could be. Like, that's the thing. They could be. We don't know for sure. Um, And they do somehow, after all this, there's still a bottle of booze that they can both enjoy, (laughs) um, which they decide to enjoy. And they're basically like, 
and this is kind of going back to the question at the top, like I think it's Kurt Russell says to Keith David, it kind of doesn't make a difference who's who because like probably neither one, like we're both pretty banged up. We're not going to survive. Yeah, he's like neither one of us will survive. Because they've also, yeah, they've, well, and also they've like blown up all of the indoor spaces. So they're going to freeze to death. Yeah. Yeah. So like, although like we've been saying, like the thing can survive a freeze. Human beings can't. Um, but like, so if one of them is the thing, possibly that one will survive. Yeah. That's Um, a problem. But because, yeah, I think it's it's Childs who says, like, oh, this is going to burn quite hot, but only for a little while. And Mac is right. like, yeah, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Hmm. And that's the end it, of the movie. I don't love that as an ending. But, like, <laughs> and, and what do you suppose they, do you think they, like, wanted to do a sequel? They, did they ever do a sequel, I guess would be one They question. did a remake, but they never did a sequel. Because that seems like someone who wants to do a sequel to leave it that nebulous. Because well, I think I think that's what's how things are done now. But I don't think it yeah. was how things were done. I mean, I know that's not yeah, how things not. were done in nineteen eighty-two. Like, yeah, the new thing I, is from twenty eleven. And and I've said this many times before. I don't like a movie that doesn't tell me what's happening in the end. I don't want to figure it out. <laughs> I don't want to like make my own assumptions because like, yeah, I could make it happier where I could say, okay. Oh, interesting. The newer thing, the thing neither of them. Yeah. The newer thing is about what happens at the Norwegian station. Oh, interesting. That's yeah. That's I maybe might watch It'll that. It'll probably that. be the same thing, right? I but mean, like presumably. <laughs> yeah. And, like, so, at the end, like, you could, okay, I guess the best case scenario, neither of them are the thing. They've eradicated it. And they both they die freeze to of death. freezing. Yeah. And I then mean, the world is saved. Or human, I, Like, know. super best case scenario. They're both human. They both realize it. And, like, maybe how they realize it is that they're both dying from freezing, right, and hypothermia. And so then maybe there's enough like in the wreckage that they could use to survive till spring. Like that's like super, that's like super best case scenario. Um, but yeah, mostly it is, it is meant to be bleak and it is meant to be a bit ambiguous. Yeah, I don't love that, love that but, especially in a movie that's an hour and 48 minutes. Like you had time to write an ending, make a choice. I don't know. I kind of like the. I kind of like its ambiguity. I know some people um, do like that. I don't. I prefer if you're gonna t- make me watch a movie, tell me the ending. Sure. Just like a book. Well, I mean, books do it too, I guess. But just like a book, you wouldn't be like, "Well, I'm not gonna write that last page. You figure it out." <laughs> well, I guess the argument might be is like, "Well, the story is over." Like. Um, cause now what would, like, if we were to continue with the story, what would we be watching? Just two guys sitting there slowly dying. <laughs> like, yeah. I um, want to see it. I want to see the five month. I want the movie to be five months long. I want to watch <laughs> them slowly die. No, but like, 
I don't know. That's just that's just a me thing. I don't like. Yeah, I don't. No, I take your point. I take your point, and I and I'm not someone who's like only ambiguity all the time. I think it. I think it works for some stories and for some movies, and but it shouldn't be for everyone. And like. That's also Definitely like what not. you were saying. I would stop before. watching movies if that was. The well, case. sure, but like that's what to me. That's what you like when you ask. Like, does this set us up for a sequel? That's the whole thing. Is like now we've gotten so used to things being like, oh, this is about the franchise. This is about the sequel. This yeah. is about the whatever. And I'm like, in the olden days, there was no such thing as that. And so, like, when the occasional ambiguous ending came along, you're like, all right cool you know like because there were so many other things that have an end to them like a clear end so when it happened you're just like oh that's that's an interesting take you know yeah um and like for example i know we've talked about this before too but like in horror franchises obviously it happens a lot where there's an ambiguous ending or like we so that the the next one can come yeah yeah but i will say the franchise that I like the way that they do it is the Scream franchise because each one is sort of its own separate thing while being connected, right. but it has it does have a little bow at the end of each movie. You know, what right. I mean? like you like we're not going to see Billy like, Loomis. Yeah, like re- the reanimated corpse of Stu Mocker is not going to come back and like right. do something. Um, but you know, Stu Mocker can have a freaky, weird side family that we didn't know about. Like that's correct. Like fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah It's yeah. like new. It's new discoveries that we don't know, and they can kind of rewrite history sometimes, and that's fine. That's one thing. But like the end of each movie is a definitive. Like this is the end of this part of the story. Right. Yeah. And this branch closes off, and we're never yeah. coming back to it. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then let's do yawns and eye rolls. Um, one yawn is. Absolutely nonstop action packed thriller. <laughs> and Ted Yon's is like absolutely one of the slowest moving, boringest things I've ever seen. What would you give this? I would say this one is kind of like it's weirdly right in the middle of like it's either like it's like got boring moments and it's got action packed moments. So I would say five for me. Hmm. Yeah, I really don't feel the time. In this movie, like I really like mm. what it, how it paces itself. Um, mm. So I guess I will give it a one um, because I really don't have many notes in that respect. Okay. Um, and then in terms of eye rolls, one eye roll is, um, hmm. Hmm. yeah, this all hangs together. <laughs> Um, in a or has a logic unto itself, um, and then ten eye rolls is like this is all fucking bananas, and I can't make sense of any of it. What would you hmm. give it? <laughs> That's tough too, because I feel like there are some very grounded moments of it that it is takes place in the real world. There's nothing like so crazy there, but then you've got these whack ass things that just like spew goo everywhere um I don't know I guess again I would like I guess I'm kind of it's I'm kind of copping out but I feel like I might say a five again because it's Mm. got a little it's got a balance of both in a way yeah Um, 
I don't know that it's a it, from a sci-fi perspective from seeing all the stuff that we've seen, I don't know that it's like a super duper new concept or something that hasn't been done. It maybe hasn't been done quite like this, but like the idea of like a body snatching, shape shifting. Yeah, that was pretty. That was pretty old hat, even by the eighties. Yeah. But yeah, I guess I would say five. I guess it's a little bit of both. Yeah, I guess for me, I would probably bring it more down to a three. Um, because one of the things that we always give movies and shows a bunch of grief is about is like having too much thrown in on top. Um, (laughs) and here it's like, no, the whole premise is the thing. That's why the movie is called the thing. Like that's, that's all we need for the story. Um, so I like that about it. That being said, the reason I've given it a three is also because there are some components that we even pointed out where I'm like. I would like a little more understanding of like what is this thing's goal like yeah and what is its motivation because if as the end kind of I didn't think about this until just now like the end almost suggests that really what the thing's objective is is to get off the planet again yeah and it so seems why like would it be going through all this trouble of well I th- I almost think that a different way this story could have played out is like, say the dog gets to the station and successfully manages to like launch into some human being. Mm-hmm. Um, then really, if it, if the thing has intelligence, which again, I'm not, it's, we're not clear if it does. Yeah. Um, if the thing had intelligence, all it would need is to be that one person and then slowly work on if it knows how to make UFOs, then it would just like do that and then be like, and I'll find a way to like slip out quote unquote unnoticed and then I'll be off the planet and no one will barely anyone would notice or care, you know, that that happened. Um, So that is a bit, that's why I'm like some of this, I'm not quite sure what's happening yeah. Because either the thing is almost like similar to Alien where I'm not even sure if it actually has sentience or intelligence or if it's just an incredible urge to survive. Like, is that yeah. what the thing is? Or is it sentient? Does it have intelligence? And is it, And if it does, then what does it want? Does it want to take over the Earth? Or is it a person who crash-landed who just wants to get the fuck out of here? You know, like... Yeah. Um, and so that to me like makes it a little bit more like I need a I would like slightly more logic into how this is working. Um yeah. but then finally, did you like this and would you recommend it? Well, as I said up top, I didn't really like it. Like it's not one it's not bad. But it, but I don't I don't prefer a horror movie that centers around aliens. I would prefer right. again a human murder. <laughs> Correct. Um, this one is a little gross. Didn't love all of that. I'm not a big body horror fan. So not I would say not my favorite. Now at the same time, do I recommend it? Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> um, because it is. 
it is it has become a classic i think it is a sight to behold mm-hmm. <laughs> for for lack of a better word i would say the couple things that like stick out to me that people should just like view in their lifetime are these special effects as gross as they are i think they're well done and yeah. especially and you're not and you're still not going to see 21 yeah and you're still not even going to see anything like it now you're not going <laughs> to yeah cuz they're definitely practical effects it's not cgi um, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So definitely the look of it is cool. I would also say number two thing you got to see is that hat. that <laughs> It's like, see all those effects? Watch for the hat. Bye. You got to watch for that hat because it's wild. Um, it's like one of the more memorable things in the movie to me. Um, so yeah, it's a weird, like, bizarre recommend for me. But yeah. I think it is worth seeing for those reasons. <laughs> Yeah, I obviously I like this, um, and I would recommend it. What I was thinking of as I was preparing uh, to call you today was um, I almost would put this into a super special category with things like the Wasp Woman that we've watched, where oh. I'm just like, I like the Wasp Woman I was a surprise it. love, like, mm-hmm. and so I, that will always have a special place in my heart because of the surprise <laughs> nature of it. Um, but like this one, I knew I liked, and yeah. but I, but it's funny. I think what the reason why I was thinking about their similarity was not just my genuine love of them, and obviously corresponding recommendation. But I was like, mm-hmm. oh, and they're both like weird body horror things, mm-hmm. which I normally never really like or respond yeah. to. But I guess. What I might say is based on those two movies alone, and now I'm remembering about the fly, which is another one I quite yeah, like. But I wouldn't say is, yeah. I love it in the same way as I love these. But um, yeah, I guess what it is is like I can do body horror when it's in the service of a story that I enjoy. Sure. Um, I don't do well with body horror for body horrors sake like just to be like yeah let's see how gross we can Look go at this gross thing yeah, yeah totally. like that for me i guess is not where my interests lie but if it's like sure oh is this a cool interesting story and it just so happens someone's face is gonna explode <laughs> and the <like>, other <laughs> thing is gonna happen um well then i guess i'm there for then it you're on board. Like, yeah yeah just make it make sense to me and i am happy the face, yeah the story is great and if you know faces explode in the you know in the interim you just got to go with it. Yeah. If, if somebody's chest cavity opens and then the cavity is actually interesting to use because it's also got teeth in there, then that's <laughs> interesting to me. <laughs> that part was oh, actually man. one of the grossest parts for me. It, it was um, a tough one. And it was a surprise. I had forgotten that happened. <laughs> God, it's wild. All right. Well, then, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Amy. It's been another exceptionally good episode of See You Next Week in Space. Um, And we will indeed. I'm Sarah, and I'm here with Amy, and we will see you next week in space. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of See You Next Week in Space. This is a production by Amy and Sarah Walsh with artwork provided by Riley Brown. If you'd like to learn more about our show, please check us out at seeyounextweekinspace.com or follow us on Instagram at seeyounextweekinspace. Until the next one.